can't believe that I'm on your podcast. This is amazing. We're just going to give it a few seconds to give it a baseline. (laughs) Welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Gottiner, and you're here for episode 200. Dana, 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 thank you so much. Welcome, welcome back, back to the, to the, hey, can you imagine if I did that the entire time? Welcome back to the Wild of Business Growth Podcast, a very, very special episode 200 edition. I am your host, Max Brandstetter, founder and podcast producer at Max Podcasting. And you can hit me up at max at maxpodcasting.com to save time with your high quality podcast. This is the big 200, episode 200. I, I can't believe we made it past episode one. So so here we are. It's uh, we're, we're celebrating 199 bonus ones on top of that. But uh, wow, uh, where to start? I'm so unprepared. Let me get out my note card. Uh, thank you so much, all of you, wild listeners, everyone listening to this podcast. None of this would be possible without you. And uh, I, I tend to get a little bit corny and, and emotional at times, mostly corny. It's hard to put into words what this podcast means and everything that it's opened doors for and made possible. And uh, just a few quick examples. I mean, over the course of the past 100 episodes, I've literally launched a podcast production business because of this podcast. I've reconnected with people uh, from all around the world that uh, one, I never thought I'd be able to you know, even speak to. Two, in some cases, reconnecting with old friends. We featured guests from New York to London to Zimbabwe. And from a listener standpoint, I mean, the, the feedback and, and what I hear from you guys and, and how much the community has grown, what, what it's meant to, to keep this baby growing and growing and just get more and more wild, crazy, cool uh, entrepreneurs and even people that you grow up seeing on TV or or you use their brands every day like it's um podcasting is a pretty crazy thing and um you have made this all possible and so this is an episode where I'm already going on too long but um this is a beast of an episode and it might be intimidating when you see how long the episode is but I I think you'll enjoy it quite a bit. The way this episode works is uh, it's really it's focused on the past 100 slash 99 episodes. Similar to the episode 100 special, it's organized into batches of uh, a few different guests at a time. And so most of the time, we'll start with a returning guest who's back for a special second interview update. And then we'll go into uh, some highlights, best of moments from other guests, as well as, of course, bloopers, impressions, music, quirky things that are worth revisiting or maybe have never even been released before. I'll chime in from time to time along the way to keep things moving along. Because this episode is so crazy, wildly long, there is a halftime break in the middle. So I'll give you uh, a heads up when it's that. If you want to pause, come back, listen to this, listen to the second half at another time. Speaking of halftime, there will also be a special announcement of something very exciting that is launching very, very soon. So stay tuned for that. I'll talk about it more in detail at the end of this episode as well. So before I get too exhausted from this one very, very long sentence, I am super excited to introduce the first batch 
of guests for this episode 200 special. We'll kick it off with Eddie Gundry from Pluey, who is back to talk about all the growth and distribution wins. Then we'll flash back to Willard Wiggin, the world's greatest micro sculptor, uh, talking about some of his motivation from his mom to keep making things smaller. And finally, Scott Hansen, the man from NFL Red Zone, uh, doing what he does on NFL Red Zone. It is the big Le 200 Bowski. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy the show. Oh shit, was I recording? Alrighty, we are back, Pluey back, with a special episode 200 reunion with Addie Gundry, Pluey, the, the world's first self-sanitizing, baby-changing, diaper-changing, uh, uh, I forgot the word, table. How could I forget that? <laughs> Addie, thank you so much for joining, coming back on. How you doing today? I'm good. And thank you. And you know, that's kind of the problem, that word table. And that's what we're trying to change. We are changing the table because why would you want to change your child on a backyard piece of plastic table in public restrooms? So we are changing it. And that's why maybe you stumbled because it's confusing. It is. It is. There's there's so much confusion with this problem historically. And uh, speaking of confusion, back <laughs> in the original interview, so you came on back in episode 169. And that was back in November 2021. And I was confused. I didn't even know what the term blowout meant at the time in the sense of the <laughs> diaper. So you, you educated me a lot on that and the French language and the culinary the culinary world as well, as well as culinary words. It's uh, I, I think at the time we kind of focused on the origin story of Pluey and how you came up with this and like tweaks to the product. But fast forward now and like I feel like since we spoke, you're – distribution in places that you can actually find Pluey in the wild has kind of taken off to the next level. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit about what, what's helped to, to get into more accounts? Yeah, great question. So last year, we really focused on making sure we had the perfect product and brand awareness because with a product this large, you know, with tooling, with manufacturing, we wanted to ensure that every part of it was the way we wanted it before we started scaling the business. And so we launched in, in February, March of 2021. And then we, in some sense, paused so we could make some iterations. We could learn from seeing our product in the world. And that's really important. You know, I think in startup culture, everyone's rushed to go, 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 which trust me when I say we are go, go, going. Uh, but we really were intentional with, hey, let's let's learn from this instead of just rushing to the market because we want to manufacture the best possible product. And so we were able to transition to a global contract manufacturer called San Mina. It's a $7 billion CM, which is huge for us. We can show our customers that we can scale because what we were focusing on was building those relationships with large national accounts like CVS and Costco and Simon Property Group. And you better believe questions they ask is, well, what if, you know, what if we want a thousand? Can you even make them? And so that was really important for us in 2021. And we were really strategic about it. And while also then gaining that brand awareness. And we were recognized by Time as one of the best inventions in 2021. Fast Company named us a world-changing idea. And then Inc. Magazine named me one of the top female founders to watch this year. So really exciting year and have a lot to show for it now because we have 10 large national accounts that we have POs from, we're piloting with, and it's it's really exciting because I've always believed in the land and expand strategy and that 
if we have these thought leaders like Simon Property Group, like Westfield, Costco, Old Navy, you know, these companies that say, hey, look what we're doing to better the guest experience, especially for the young and vulnerable little ones, you know, the rest kind of start to follow in that footprint. So very exciting for us now that we have 10 accounts. There's a couple I'm dying to share that I'm not sure if I'm allowed to yet, but you can imagine they're big box kind of type retailers. Yeah. And you texted me off record and whew, those, those are pretty awesome. <laughs> but uh, you are also named by the Wild Business Growth Podcast as the best educator of the term blowout in the diaper sense. So <laughs> I, I have to give you, uh, that's basically on par with the Time Magazine uh, front cover, basically. But it, it's super exciting about all the different accounts here. And I mean, you listed off some of the names, like these are some of the biggest names in the retail space and beyond. And so far of the, the big accounts that you've won. What's one that you had to like pinch yourself of like, oh my God, this, okay, we, we've kind of made it to a level if, if we're getting in these doors. One of the most exciting for me and felt so personal and meaningful was Legoland and Peppa Pig theme park. Oh yeah. You know? You're bringing a tear to my mom's eye because she, <laughs> both her eyes actually, because she's a huge Peppa Pig fan. Oh, and it, for me as a mom, right, this business is so personal. Cooper was the inspiration for it. Claire helped me bring it to life when we were on maternity leave and raising. And, you know, I have two toddlers that watch toddler shows that my, my son loves this like Lego Ninjano, I don't even know, cartoon. Of course, my daughter loves a pig. And so having a large, you know, a large company like that, you know, they're owned by Merlin Entertainment to say, hey, look what we're doing. Again, we're, we're creating a place where parents feel that health and safety is a priority, where we value guest experience. And so when a large company like that, who has a lot of babies, I mean, Peppa Pig theme park is very cool. If you don't know about it, it was literally, it's the only theme park built for toddlers. So all of the rides are for kids ages, you know, two to four. It's literally, no, there's no other theme park like it. And so when we installed it, it was such a perfect fit. And it was one of these wild installations. I flew out there. We had to do it in the middle of the night because that happens often with places that are open during the day. But um, I think when it was a pinch me moment was I, I pushed really hard for it. They actually were opening the theme park. They already had changing tables installed. <laughs> and I said, come on, like you guys want these, you need these, please make sense. And so they removed their brand new changing tables. I'm not even kidding, Max, two days before they opened. We were there for the soft press opening, the investor opening, and they put Pluey on the wall in the middle of the night. Um, and that was just such a cool moment. I think it spoke to sort of optimism and persistence, two traits you really need as an entrepreneur, seeing it there and, you know, FaceTiming with my kids all alone in the Peppa Pig theme park. It was just like so surreal, you know, look what mom is doing. Um, and it was, it was a really pinch me moment. And then I was invited out there with my son Cooper and my daughter, but she's a little uh, crazy and young and doesn't listen. So I brought my son, but we got to spend the day at the park uh, for some press and media opportunities. He and I went in before it opened and basically had the theme park to us himself. And I mean, again, like everything I do and am and want to be building this business is for our kids. And so like having my business so personally connected to them and having sales wins that they can kind of start to see is, is really a pinch me moment. Now I have to ask, does the team at Peppa Pig theme park is like every other word that comes out of their mouth. A <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I will say there is a lot of snorting. I th- there's <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> and it's so cute, but you hear all the music and the theme. And I feel like I was just always hearing like snorts throughout the theme park or something. So they did an amazing <laughs> job and they really thought about everything. It's the first theme park to have sensory cues, you know, for children with autism and things. It's handicap accessible. Like it's, it's just a really magical, special place. It really is. It is anything, anything with Peppa it takes it to the next level. That's 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 super exciting. And then the other area of distribution that I'm really really excited by, you're starting to get into professional sports ballparks and stadiums as well. What what have you gotten to so far, and like how how did you break into into that mold? Because that's obviously a huge exciting market for you as well. And again, back to sort of persistence. <laughs> You know, the, the one challenge we have is getting to the right people, right? How do you sell into large companies? How do you sell a, a B2B product to a stadium? Is it, you, do you talk to the facilities team members? Do you talk to operations? Do you talk to marketing and PR? And so a lot of the efforts is just who do you find within these organizations that say, hey, you know, this is really neat and let's let's try this. And so um, the, the White Sox was a, another win for us that they I literally got a phone call on my cell phone after they saw us on the local news, like, Hey, we saw this and we want it. And I thought, Oh my God, <laughs> like when someone calls you and wants it after you spend months and months, just like hounding people, it's, it's pretty fun. Um, so that was our first stadium. And that really helped put us on the map because people see stadiums as, you know, it's a nice sort of validation of like, wow, they like this product, you know, they did their due diligence. So it's, it's a nice kind of feather in our cap. And then we now are in the San Diego Padres Stadium, so Petco Park, which was just ranked the number one stadium in the country. Very cool. As well as the Texas Rangers, so Globe Life Field. In both those stadiums, we're in the nursing mother's rooms as well as some club level suite areas. It's really been kind of word of mouth and just getting to the right people, hitting the pavement, I suppose. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say hitting it. Knocking it out of the park, I thought I, I was all teed up for a baseball pun there, but we'll we'll, we'll still give it to you. <laughs> That's super exciting, and and there's so many more stadiums that I'm sure are kind of next to be on the list as well. But Addy, so fun catching up and, and and seeing and hearing all the exciting growth. And for listeners out there, where is the best place for people to like see pictures of? Pluey in the wild and and just capture all the excitement in the uh, in the world of Pluey. Yes, we want followers and fun. So please join us. We're on Instagram. It's Hello Pluey, as well as LinkedIn. And then our website is HelloPluey.com. But that, you know, we're just want more parents, more people, more fans, more um, enthusiasts in the restroom space, facilities, babies, blowouts, you name it, uh, to follow along and help support us. We are moms behind this. You know, we're women owned and operated, WBENC certified. We're a small startup going after a really big category and just need need the love. So if, if you find this fun and interesting, please follow along um, and we'll post lots of photos with us in, in public restrooms. <laughs> Perfect, perfect, and uh, and more and more Peppa Pig as well. So that's Pluey. Pluey is spelled P L U I E. So there is the uh, the spelling bee for this special episode two hundred. Last thing, special uh, episode two hundred. Additional final thoughts. Whatever you want, Addy, send us off. You can even snort it if you want it. <laughs> send us home here. I don't think I've ever snorted on a podcast, but I might just have to. I think my final thought I'll say is we've had such a busy year and the most exciting part is just uh, that we've learned so much. And I'll say that, you know, again, being an entrepreneur, there's so much you don't know. Uh, And uh, if anyone out there is listening, 
I would just say, you know, learning is so powerful and the desire to want to learn is sometimes even more important than knowing something already. So don't be intimidated by what you don't know. Uh, it will, it will all hopefully work out. And if not, you can just uh, snort your way through life. <laughs> that was bad. That was a bad snort. No, that was that. Oh, that was fantastic. So then I heard the door go slam, and then my mom came up the garden because my mom was angry. You see, because she'd come to collect me, I wasn't at school. She came up the garden. Then she could see the neighbors all looking and stuff, looking over the fence, and you know. And then my mom was shouting at me, you know, where you been, where you been? And then my neighbor says, oh, oh, Mrs. Wigan, don't worry, I bought him home, I bought him home. So then they said, Mrs. Wigan, have you seen what your son's made? I could hear that. And what, what, what's happened now? How come you wasn't at school? And she was so het up with me not being at school. She's concentrating on wanting to let me know what's going to happen to me for running away. But then all of a sudden, that diluted. And then the lady next door says, have a look. Look at that, Mrs. Wigan. Then my mum looked at it. My mum, <gasps> like that. And then she kind of looked at me and then looked at what I'd done. And I held it in my hand like this. And she picked it up like that. She was looking at it. I thought she was going to throw it away. But she looked at it. She called me in the house. She put it on the table. And she looked at it like that and said, you make that. And I said, yeah. And then she said to me, make them smaller and your name will get bigger. Boy, the only time I usually close something out is at the end of the show where we leave you with one more look at every touchdown from every game presented by Amazon Prime. Thank you, Addy. Thank you, Willard. Thank you, Scott. Scotty Too Hottie Hansen for the touchdowns on touchdowns on touchdowns on touchdowns. Now, let's get to returning guest Dave Heimbuck from Hydrant, who has been swimming with the Sharks. And uh, a highlight from Brian Clayton and just the level he was willing to get to to uh, win McDonald's as one of his first clients. And then Laura Belgray, the famous and infamous copywriter correcting me on a, a very simple word <laughs> to spell Alrighty, we are here for a super very super special uh hydrant special episode 200 reunion with dave heimbuck founder of hydrant who's been pretty busy since we last spoke Dave, welcome to episode 200. Uh, I think uh, you've been up to a couple things since we last spoke, episode 142 back in April of 2021. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Max. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. And you're you're very lucky I let you back on because last <laughs> time you alluded to some dad jokes and then you started to, to go through the dad joke and then you basi basically couldn't remember it, but it was something about a pterodactyl. So here we are. The, the best dad jokes for me just kind of come spur of the moment during a conversation with my kids. They're not they're not the jokes that I have memorized, but they're just those that uh, just come up spontaneously. So I think <laughs> I froze last time. It's an art. And uh, if you do it right, it can get you on Shark Tank. So <laughs> you huge congratulations. Since we spoke, you have been on Shark Tank, which is really, really cool. Not only because I mean, 
it's you on Shark Tank. Like that's amazing. That's a dream for any entrepreneur. But also really cool because I went back and listened to the episode, the original interview with you, and you actually mentioned Shark Tank in the episode, but like totally unrelated to your business. I think you you spoke it into existence. And I think the last time we talked, I don't even know if I had even you know started the the process of of getting on the show. You know, it's it's, it's been a long time, but. You know, it, it may have been like early, early on, but I couldn't talk about it because I was sworn to secrecy still. But uh, I, don't, I don't remember what I said. But yeah, I mean, how exciting, right? Really cool. Yeah, you said, I mean, basically it was a bunch of dad jokes and just straight embarrassment. So it was pretty impressive. <laughs> Ho- hopefully you won't get sued now. So I definitely want to dig into it. Overall, how would you characterize the Shark Tank experience firsthand? Um, it was very uh, horrific <laughs> experience. <laughs> I mean, imagine, right, standing in front of, you know, billionaires, millionaires, and, and, and pitching your, your company that, that you gave birth to and, and started, you know, years ago. And I don't know, it, it's one of those things where you, now that I've done it, it's, I'm not afraid to do much of anything after that. I tell you what, it, it was good for the business, obviously, but it was good for me as a founder of a company too, because I knew that I was not going to be the guy that got on the show and didn't know his numbers and got just beat up by Mr. Wonderful or whoever. So, um, you know, I spent, I, I knew that I was going to be on the show probably three months before I actually did have to go through the, um, uh, the pitch. See, we should have, we should have done the original interview, like right then when you found out. So you would have been extremely, even more uncomfortable. Oh, I, I know I would have been sweating, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it worked out great. And, and like I said, it, it I say horrifying and, and it was very stressful. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things where you, you put yourself in a position where you're uncomfortable. And once you get done with it, then you're like, oh, my gosh, I, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And, and now I can do I can do anything. Now. And now you can be openly horrified on TV in front of <laughs> millions of viewers. So I don't care anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what for you was the most stressful part about the whole shark process, shark tank process? here's the thing you, you're going to go on the show and you know, it's going to go one of two ways, right? They're either going to like you and give you a deal or they're not going to like you and not give you a deal. And probably the scariest part of it or the most stressful thing is, you know, I had spent four years leading up to the, that moment building this business and, and um, you know, thinking it, it had legs and traction and, and was going to be successful. But if I got on national TV and they just rip it apart and tell me to take it behind the shed and shoot it, then all that work is for nothing. Right. I mean, it's, it's hard to come back from that. And that's what I was scared about. You know, it might not go well. Like when you go on Shark Tank, you're taking a risk too. Obviously the, the upside's great. Um, but the downside could be detrimental too. And that's probably the biggest thing that I was worried about. It sounds stressful, but as you mentioned, super rewarding. I'm not going to give away anything, but let's just say, because I want people to check out the episode themselves. Let's say hypothetically, if you were to secure a deal on that show, how hypothetically would it be working out for you and your new shark investor? Like kind of how, how's that dynamic hypothetically going? Well, hypothetically speaking, um, it, it's been extremely beneficial to our company, not only from uh, an exposure standpoint, um, a credibility standpoint and all of those things, but you know, we haven't gotten too into the weeds yet with the sharks themselves. It's uh, a long process that probably people don't realize when they watch the show is that, oh, they got a deal, it's done. But then it just becomes a long, tedious process where there is more due diligence and, and different things like that. But, but that said, <laughs> hypothetically speaking, if I was to get a deal with a couple of sharks, I, I, I am happy with the way things have worked out. 
<laughs> Perfect. That's great. I mean, a, a kid can dream, right? <laughs> well, well, congrats on all the hypotheticals. Yeah. Uh, what would what would your be what would your be what would your advice be for any entrepreneur who aspires to be on Shark Tank one day? To to go for it. So I, when I first launched the company in 2018, I, I flew out to Los Angeles and I did like an open audition, and it didn't. I didn't get a call back. I didn't even get in, an email back. Or <laughs> just like I went out there. I pitched to uh, during an open casting call and then just never heard again from them, um, but didn't give up and, and, and tried again. And I think um, one of the one of the ways that like if you want to be on Shark Tank or if you want your business in general to be um, successful, put it out there in every single way you know how. So, Max, doing a podcast, you never know who's going to listen to it. Right. So, yeah, this is I've actually recruited my, my fellow Hoosier Alan Mark Cuban to listen to this just this yeah. part of this episode. So you're welcome, hypothetically. So <laughs> hypothetically speaking, the, the way that I got on Shark Tank is because they found me online, you know, doing PR, doing, you know, fundraising and stuff like that. Just get it out there, get your company out there for everyone to see. And somebody important might see it and might reach out. Any other kind of exciting development with Hydrant? Maybe not as many people know about, but it's it's something you're really, really pumped about? Yeah, yeah, there is. And I haven't even told you about this yet. But towards the end of last year, uh, around the same time that Shark Tank was getting ready to air, we entered into a partnership with the International Association of Firefighters Financial Corporation. So Ooh, awesome. That's, a, that's awesome. I mean, that's a natural fit for you. It's insane, right? So the, the IFF is the largest firefighter union in the country, in the world, really. There are over 325,000 firefighters that are part of that union. And basically what this partnership means is that the IAFF is going to promote Hydrant internally to all their members, all their firefighters. And in return, we're going to give them back a percentage of revenue to their charity. It's, it's incredible. The, the entire supply side of our two-sided marketplace is now covered. We have as many firefighters as we can handle. And now we just got to find them jobs. So I, that, that's probably even bigger than Shark Tank was that partnership with the IFF Financial Corporation and, and just being in with them and having the ability, making a phone call or sending an email saying, hey, could you reach out to 300,000 firefighters and, and tell them that, that we're doing this? And, and they will. And it's, it's incredible. It, that is that so incredible. That's yeah, yeah, I could see how, but uh, you, you have a a beautiful sharknado of sharks and firefighters that are just fueling your <laughs> fueling your business. Uh, so really, really pumped to and excited and thrilled to hear all that you've been up to. Last thing here, an episode two hundred special version of final thoughts, thoughts t h o s final thoughts. This could be words of advice. It could be a spontaneous dad joke. It could be a hypothetical money raising situation, whatever you want. Take us home here. <laughs> I, have a, I have a dad joke. It's one that I was talking about the other day. Why do melons have weddings? Uh, it's got to be something with honeydew, right? Because they can't elope. Oh, <laughs> you got me. Bravo. <laughs> oh, man. The man can pitch to sharks. He can hang out with firefighters and he can make jokes about cantaloupe. Thanks so much, Dave. Shout out Hydrant. Awesome business. Just really, really great to catch up. Thanks, Max. Congratulations on your 200th episode, man. No matter how many cold calls I did and how many like cold visits I did, how much door knocking I did on, on commercial properties, I never could like 
cut my way in. I never could get anybody to take a chance on me. And this uh, so happened to luck up and start mowing the residential property for a franchiser. And uh, he owned, I think, three locations at the time. And every year I would beg him, like, hey, let us bid on the contract for your three locations. And he would say, no, we're locked in with somebody that corporate has, has us using. And they suck, and we don't really like them, but, you know, we have to use them. And, and I thought, man, you know, uh, I, know I, I know this guy will give me a chance if I can just figure out a way to get on his radar. I don't know where I came up with this idea. I think I was eating at, at, at one of his restaurants, and I just noticed that the drive through was filthy. Like it was full of cigarette butts and and debris and like chewing gum and like this nasty stuff. And, and I thought, man, this is like, this is pitiful. This is one of the world's most valuable companies and the drive-through looks awful. And then I started noticing like all McDonald's looked that way. And I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to propose to this guy that for the same price as what he's paying now, we will detail the the drive-through and we will clean up all of that stuff uh literally like with our bare hands pick up cigarette butts and chewing gum and and trash and bubble gum wrappers i'm I'm starting to gather why the pst your ptsd comment it makes a lot more sense literally man like we you know and and so I, i pitched him on this and and he thought you know what if you're gonna do that knock yourself out i'll give you a shot on one restaurant and so every time we would like come service the property we would on my hands and knees crawling through the drive-through picking up cigarette butts and putting it in like a five gallon pail i've probably picked up a million cigarette butts in my life but it, it looked great when we got done like it looked it looked and we took before and after pictures this was back in like 2002 so literally like going to walgreens and developing pictures and mailing them to this guy with the with the invoice and and showing him you know that hey, you know when you hired us to to mow your mow the yard, you really you didn't hire us to mow the yard. You hired us to sell more Big Macs. You hired us to sell more apple pies, because it's our belief that if the drive-through looks spotless, people will will upgrade the to the extra value meal. And I don't know if that was true or not. It had to be because I mean it looked better. And uh, and so he's like, you know, uh, I'd like for you to do all three of my locations. So we did all three of his locations for a couple of years and then we proved out a track record. And then he enabled me to pitch, I guess you could say the regional group of franchisers and, and corporate owned stores. And so over a three or four year period of time, I was able to develop that into probably a half million dollars a year in, in business because we ultimately, we ended up doing every single McDonald's location within a hundred mile radius of Nashville, Tennessee something like 150 locations. And it all started, you know, with just figuring out a different way to sell our services and and align what it is we did with what our customers' goals were. We are going to get into copy and other things that make your audience go bananas, B-A-N-A-S. But before we get to that, I want to dive a little bit into your career in the TV world. Yes, you kind of started your career career that way, but you also, at the age of two, made your Sesame Street debut. <laughs> Can you share some of that background? I did. You really did your homework. Wait, first I have to backtrack and say that it's B-A-N-A-N-A-S because you spelled it Banas. And so that's did just, I did I <laughs> you did and so that just nags at me, you know. So I just had to go back to that. And now we'll go to oh that's a perfect segue to Sesame Street, I think, spelling. Yeah, let's get the count here. Get the count? 
Oh, the count. The character, the count. I thought that was like one of your technicians to edit out the the bananas. <laughs> See, this is why spell check is like the most useful thing ever, probably. Thank you so much, Dave, Brian, and Laura for making this episode 200 special. Special. Now we're going to welcome back on returning guest, Jonathan Katz from Blendy, who shares the growth, growth, growth of Blendy. Best-selling author John Warlow and his best-selling analogies. And brand man David Breyer with some of the best voices and words on aesthetically pleasing things that you'll ever hear. Alrighty, we are back for a super-duper special episode 200 catch-up. A uh, special interview with Jonathan Katz, the founder of Blendy, everyone's favorite portable blender, one of my favorite products. Jonathan, this is crazy. We first spoke, the first interview was episode 104 back in July 2020. You were just a little boy and now you're a 75-year-old man. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing very well. Thankfully, not 75, <laughs> but very well. <laughs> oh, man. We're... Sorry to all our 75-year-old listeners there. You have public enemy number one in Jonathan Katz now. But it's just so cool staying in touch. You and I speak and freak. Speak and freak. We speak frequently on social media and just catching up about all sorts of things, business and personal. So it's really, really cool. And I'm I'm grateful, really grateful we connect in the first place. On the Blendy side, I think Blendy has really, really blossomed over the past couple of years. And so the first thing that... I know that you've done over the past couple of years that is super ballsy and I want to and I want to talk about is you basically took a bunch of your savings and like poured it into one big manufacturing run to like kind of you know focus your commitment on the business but also to you know take this thing to the next level. Can you tell us about that and and what it was like doing that sort of big risk? Prior to around when we first spoke, you know, sales were kind of just picking up by then. Later or this year, you know, later last year I had I was coming up on a big tax burden, I, I would imagine. And so I decided, you know what, let's just go all in on Blendy and and let's take about $50,000 and just make, you know, as many units as we can and kind of take a big bet. And so it left me with like, you know, an insane amount of low savings to live off of. Um, and as you all know, manufacturing takes nowadays like 75 days to get you via boat. So it was a massive bet. And it's one that's thus far paid off really well. And, you know, we've, we've done a lot of great things the last couple of months in order to sell those units. That's awesome. Well, kudos to you for doing it. Like people talk about entrepreneurship and risk, but like literally getting down to like, you know, the point that you have barely any savings, but like what's going to get you out of that is your business. You know, if you're committed to it, you know, as I mentioned, that takes huge balls. That's It's a huge risk. And it's just like, inspired. like it pumps me up to hear that. Uh, you made that decision, but also that it's paying off. And so uh, scary, scary times, obviously. What was it like, you know, those first few weeks after you did that and kind of as you're waiting for things to happen, what was it like being like super tight on the savings side, but also, you know, being focused on the business? It's kind of chaotic. Um, but, you know, when you tr- you try and make as many uses as you can just because of economies of scale and you can get the unit price down. So I, I knew that getting the unit price down would save me kind of in the long run or I already make more money. But those first couple of weeks are kind of hectic and, and you know, you're, you could be staying up all night and, you, and you're thinking about, oh, my God, once, how am I going to get the next sale? How, how, you know, who, like you start kind of looking down your list, I suppose, or I did, of retail stores who might either need a reorder or, you know, 
can we get some friends to pre-order or can we get some people to pre-order this, right? In order to get the upfront money just so I can last those couple months before they come in. So it was a lot of getting pre-orders and seeing who wants to, to get a deal before they come in. It's crazy. I'm stressed thinking about it, but it's, it sounds like a beautiful bet for you. And then you have had, you know, you're very open with friends and family and kind of sharing the progress of the business and some of the, the numbers that you've had. And you don't need to talk specific numbers, but you've had some phenomenal, you know, increase in revenue over the past couple of years. Uh, so congrats again on that. And what do you think has been the biggest driver for, for you growing this thing with Blendy? So the, the main thing was we got into this Facebook group called the Boutique Hub, and that was a huge success just because they pair, you know, wholesalers kind of like me with retailers across the country, mainly boutiques. And that alone allowed us to get to over a hundred, you know, over a hundred retail stores in just under two years, which is pretty good for a new product, such as, you know, the portable blender. A lot of boutiques are focused on like clothing and, you know, just stuff like that. So portable blenders didn't think made sense, but made a lot of sense at, in hindsight. So that really helps for growth. And now what's really going to help spur growth is what we've seen is pairing with marketing promotional companies. So those companies then work with companies like a Microsoft or like an Apple, kind of the, the names there to do corporate gifting. And so those sell thousands of units or hundreds of units at a time, which is amazing. Um, and then we just recently got into two showrooms, one in the Atlanta market and then one in the Dallas market. And what that means is your product is part of kind of like a showcase of a whole host of other products. But that showroom then invites big retailers, small retailers, any size into the showroom to purchase products at wholesale rates. You know, that that just started. So that will really have an effect this year. And we're, you know, we, we sold well into six figures last year. And we're going to probably, we're probably going to like, we're up already thus far 60%. So that's really good. And I can only see that number going up. But it really depends on manufacturing and how many units we can get in before the end of the year. Absolutely. Well, I, I knew a Facebook group was the secret to your success. I just you had it written all over you. No, but I, I think the an awesome lesson from that is just putting yourself out there and putting yourself in a space where you can create those relationships with different retailers and customers and and, and just people in the space that can lead to different niches of the of the market for you. And in, in this um this corporate gifting, you know, that's something I never really thought about before, but that that's a huge opportunity for for products like yours. So that's awesome. Like that's so cool that you stumbled onto that. The showroom standpoint, can you give us just like a quick rundown of like like what does that mean for your business when your product gets into a showroom? It's one of those things where it's like, I was actually surprised we got into showrooms because back when we first spoke, I think in 2020, um, we had applied to two different ones, given they were like the premiere of the premiere. So I wasn't expecting to get in them. Uh, but they were like, you don't have enough SKUs, like you only have one product. You know, we can't get that because what happens is these showrooms, not only are they a display at markets, but they also have a sales force. So like that sales force would go out to different retail stores across the country um, or in that you know region. So like either the South, the Midwest, the East Coast, and then they'll sell your product. And so they want to have a lot of products to sell. They want to have a catalog, not just one. Uh, I was kind of surprised that we got into the showroom, but we got into a very good one in Atlanta and now we're getting into a um, just as good in Dallas. And so it's just kind of confirmation for retailers, like your product is legit, it's vetted. Um, and, you know, this is a trusted company in the showroom that we buy from to then get your product. So it was a big stepping stone for us. Jonathan Katz, the modern Houston, Atlanta, Vegas. That's right. <laughs> 
that's that's awesome though. The last update with your business that I thought was really really cool is you've gotten some great press over the past couple of years, and you've gotten your first experiences experiences. So that's a tongue twister. Experiences on TV. Uh, what was what was it like? What was that process like for you? And, and what's it like uh, when people are like, "Holy cow, that that's Blendy on TV that they're <laughs> they're promoting." So it was really funny. I've recently just um, quit my job, so um, that was a big thing. But the TV uh, aspect played into that because I was actually at my day job as a wealth manager, and we got into the Tamron Hall show, and so I was able to at like 10 a.m. I think it, it aired. And that day we did about $33,000. And I was just sitting there at my office like, wow, this is insane. <laughs> I'm like, I'm at my office working when I could be doing um, or I'm watching Blendy stuff. So um, now it was finally time to take it full time and uh, make the leap. And yeah, really happy to do that. But that was Tamron Hall show was pretty amazing for us. Best day in sales ever. You only hear this on an entrepreneurship podcast, but congrats on quitting. <laughs> That's yes, a big thank step. You. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, this has been so awesome catching up. Huge fan of Blendy. And for any listener out there, like if you're somebody who enjoys going to the gym or, or smoothies or protein shakes and just wants things a little bit more convenient, a little bit more portable, like I love Jonathan's Blendy. Not just Jonathan's Blendy, but Blendy in general. <laughs> and uh, definitely recommend checking it out. I, I love mine. To wrap up here, it's a special episode 200 additional final thoughts. It could be anything you want. It could be a quote. It could be a, uh, a Kid Cudi song lyric, as I know you love. Whatever you want, take us home here. The whole reason why I'm still here and doing this, especially in the early stages of my journey, was when things got bad or like when things didn't seem that they were got that good, I just at least did one thing from a business a day. Whether that was like talking about it with somebody or sending an email off, you know, I think just making connections and trying to email as many people as possible and doing at least one thing for your business is always good. And that will, that will keep you kind of like, you know, going um, when it's doesn't seem like it might be all that viable. So just keep doing that and keep doing one thing a day for your business at least. And she said, it came down to a simple fact that I want to spend three years in prison or three weeks in prison. And I said, tell me more. And I said, well, an earnout is like a prison sentence for an entrepreneur, right? Where you're working for somebody else. You can't, you don't have your own discretion. You've got to get everything approved by a boss. Whereas a three week prison sentence is writing your SOPs. Does it suck? Absolutely. But if given the choice of spending three weeks or three years, I'd rather take the three week deal. So look, I think that's one of the things that's, again, it's not a sexy recommendation. Michael Gerber in the book, The E-Myth talked about it ad nauseum. But it is critical to building, I think, a business that can thrive without you and getting out cleanly. And here I was thinking that she had a prison business, but that's <laughs> I'm all for the power of analogy. So that's amazing. And I think a lot of times when you're in the thick of it and when you're more on the doer side, you can tend to kind of keep pushing things off or be so swamped with kind of like the next task that you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't really have time for that. But if you take that long-term, that long-run approach maybe even imagine it as a prison sentence. This is like the effects of what you're doing. I, I think it's a phenomenal way of looking at things. Yeah, it's, it's also, I think, philosophical about how do you run a company? Like, you know, for a lot of people, in particular in the United States, where there's this sort of ethos about maximizing top-line revenue, there's the Inc. 5000. I think those are all wonderful awards and, and great things to get. Yet, I think they place perhaps too great an emphasis on top-line revenue growth at all costs. And what I mean by that is I think the most important job of an entrepreneur 
is ultimately to build a company that doesn't depend on them. I, I use the analogy, a lot of people listening to this are parents, right? Some people want their kid to go to Harvard, want their kid to play football at Auburn or whatever. For most parents, they don't want these massive goals for their kids. They want their kids to be successful, independent adults. And I think if more people thought of their business as a child, where the main goal is not to create the next Tesla, it's actually to create a company that can thrive without you. And instead of thinking of yourself as you know the, the chief salesperson for your company, instead think of yourself as like the parent. Sometimes a parent's job is not to take center stage, it's actually to get the company to live on its own. And I was always fascinated how you ever, you ever notice how there's certain styles of design that take you, that they practically transport you somewhere. You know, it might be something that's nostalgic. It might be something vintage. It might be something futuristic. But just by seeing it, you know where you've landed. It's kind of like those voices. Like I, I always am amused by those, what I call those stupid trailer voices where they say, in a world, you know, and you, and you hear that crap and you go, oh my God. <laughs> You you should do that by the way. You should say you should just say the words in a world, and that that you could get paid for that. I think <laughs> exactly. Well, the thing is, is that you know, they, it's like where men meet women, and and women meet men, and men were and when men were made of wood, and women were made of steel. <laughs> you know, and so you, so you hear all that crap, and, and all of a sudden it's it's now transported you and me to someplace. Well, if that could be done with a voice, it can also be done. Like I'm always fascinated with soundtrack music because. You ever notice like you, they hit just that one note and you know that something horrible is going to occur in the next 30 seconds. How do they know? How does that one note strike that? How does it, how do we all know that? It's rather, I always find that fascinating. Or then there, or there's, or there's a certain little, certain little pitch that we, that the, that the soundtrack seems to go. And all of a sudden, you know, they're about to fall in love and, and have mad, you know, passionate intercourse on the, on the screen. That got rather mad and passionate. Thank you so much, Jonathan, John, and David for sharing your wisdom and voices on this special. Now, let's welcome back special returning guest Deirdre Lester on her move from Chief Revenue Officer of Barstool Sports to Chief Executive Officer of Outsider. After that, we have the highlight of Ali Webb, founder of Drybar, explaining how in the world they've been able to maintain fantastic customer service while growing location after location after location after location. And then a wonderful medley of bloopers that prove that um, starting off and, <laughs> and ending every podcast uh, with the intro outro is the hardest damn thing in the world. I don't know why it is, but it, you'll see for yourself. Alrighty, we are back, back, back for a special episode 200 uh, reunion edition with Deirdre Lester. Uh, one of the, I, I forget the the official accolade, but you're, you're one of the most uh, powerful women in the sports world. I think one of the most powerful people in the in the world of the outside as well now. <laughs> Deirdre. <laughs> Love that. Thank you so much for, for coming back for episode 200. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Of course, of course, and uh, this is really, really sweet. We the first interview was back when you were chief revenue officer of Barstool. That was back in episode 
152 back in July 2021. And of course, as uh, as anybody who's listened knows, that was recorded in the Barstool headquarters in New York, which, by the way, thanks again for inviting me and, and giving me the tour for that. I think the podcast speaks for itself and people loved your interview. And then on top of that, when I shared out the pictures from the Barstool office on Instagram, like I have never received like a bigger outpour of, holy shit, you did what? <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, for being yeah. at the office. <laughs> well, look, I remember you reaching out to me or we got connected and you asked me to come on the show. I was excited to do it. And I kind of think I put it to you and said, I'll do it if you'll come in and see us and do it out of one of our studios. I think partly because, you know, we were one of the few companies at the, at the time that were going into the office and uh, trying to keep our offices and our studios and our production going from our Barstool headquarters in New York city. And part of that was, you know, being there from a business leadership perspective, maybe not every day, but, you know, several days a week through all throughout uh, a very challenging time. Uh, and I think, you know, you know, having it in, in there and, and doing that interview in our studio was fun for me, too. I think it was the first time I had recorded a, a podcast out of a barstool, an actual barstool studio as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mentioned that on the podcast. So I'm glad. I mean, this happens with all my guests. I, I introduce all my guests to a, a different barstool studio and interview them there for the first time. So uh, <laughs> you're, you're one of many, but no, but, glad but I could help out. I do notice that here, here we are at episode 200. And you still don't have a studio. You're, we're, we're still seeing your your living room. So uh, maybe next time I talk to you, you'll be in a fancy studio somewhere. Uh, it's a it's a little bit different when we're paying rent for apartment and about to get rent raised seventy thousand <laughs> fold. Uh, so I think once a little bit more permanent, they'll I'll have a, a more developed studio. But yeah, anyway, you can you can do a lot with podcasting with a good microphone and good connection. So absolutely, I mentioned in that episode that. It was super surreal, not just being at Barstool interviewing you, but that was the first in-person interview I did in a year and a half. And it was a pretty pretty monumental and, and great kind of comeback to that. And uh, it's kind of funny now looking back because there's been uh, 48 episodes or 47 episodes since then. And uh, I've only done two more in-person interviews. So <laughs> that was a lot of excitement for something that didn't, <laughs> it didn't matriculate too much, but very special nonetheless. I mean, your point is is right. We can do so much of this remotely now. Remote conferences have still remained, you know, a thing, uh, at least in the in industries that I run around in: digital media, podcasting, consumer, uh, direct to consumer goods, and marketing. That said, I think people really love a real world connection, whether that be to interview a guest for a show like this. Uh, or whether it be, you know, going to industry conferences and having the opportunity to network around the room. And I do think that, you know, one of the things we did see at Barstool was during the pandemic, one of our shows that had tremendous growth was a show called Million Dollars Worth of Game. And they never, never conducted an interview over Zoom. They went, they, they interviewed like top tip of the spear rappers and hip hop artists. Um, and they flew all over the country at a time where people didn't think you needed to do that anymore. And the connections they formed with their guests were really powerful. So I encourage you to encourage people to try to do those in-person meets when you can get them to do it. Um, but then at the same time, we're fortunate and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today where I'm doing it if it wasn't possible to work remotely. Well, I'm encouraged and I'm, I'm encouraging as well because yeah, the, of all the interviews I've done, there's definitely, there's an extra special feel to it. And I think you, an extra connection between 
host and guest and kind of opening doors and you never know what that will turn into uh, when you do do in per- <laughs> I just said do do wow and when you do do in person interviews it is extra special so speaking of special connection and something that can happen outside let's talk outsider so you are starting and you know, hit the ground running at a pretty new but amazing chapter for you and so you've joined Outsider as CEO. And I always sound that out because whenever I say CEO, it like all runs together and it sounds weird. So here we are, Deirdre Lester, CEO of Outsider, teaming up with some really, really cool names in the space, including uh, Jay Cutler. If, you know, I've never really heard of that name before. I don't know why. No, but <laughs> uh, it's, it's an amazing company and, and brand. And I can see already the kind of the steps you've taken to help things explode from a content standpoint uh, and just grow the brand and, and, and grow the revenue there as well. So so what brought you to Outsider in the first place? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm very excited. It's a it's a big step for me um, from a career perspective to to step into this seat uh, and also a big change from, you know, coming from a company that, you know, while it was small-ish uh, when I started, you know, and we had such rapid growth. We it was a very large company um, when I left, like nearing 400 employees, I believe. Um, you know, here I'm going all the way back to an early stage company uh, that was founded in 2020 uh, by a gentleman named Shannon Terry. Uh, Shannon, uh, you know, to answer your question, is someone I've worked with in the past. Uh, he had recruited me back in, I think, 2005 to come uh run uh, the sales uh, and, and revenue for a company called Rivals.com. If you're not familiar, Rivals was, you know, at the time, the number one you know, college football, uh, college sports, essentially recruiting uh, and news platform had forged a national brand and, you know, had, you know, forged a big partnership with Yahoo and we were ultimately acquired by Yahoo sometime in 2007. So, you know, it was a really exciting chapter in my career, I had gone from being an account executive at ESPN to a much larger role at a much smaller company. And it really helped catapult me into doing more entrepreneurial things. Um, And I stayed in touch with Shannon all these years uh, as a friend, as a mentor, and just as someone who's always been, you know, so successful in all the endeavors he's started in the digital media space. Um, always would continue to stay in touch and say, should there ever be the opportunity to come partner again? I'm always here, you know, waiting in the wings. And 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 equally, he was always, you know, kind of consulting me on the things I was doing, including going to Barstool Sports in, in 2018. So um, this opportunity with Outsider came about um, Shannon uh, and Jay Cutler, who most of the listeners hopefully know Jay, but if not, Jay played uh, 12 years uh, as a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, he also went on to uh, star or co-star in a reality show with his former wife, Kristen Cavallari. Um, and uh, so he's got you know, a massive following on both the sports and sports culture standpoint, as well as uh, sort of a more mainstream audience uh, outside of sports with people who watch you know, reality TV programming. Um, so it's been really fun to work. Uh, alongside the two of them um, and and take what they had established with the outsider brand over they launched it in 2020 and worked towards driving a significant audience via articles written by over 20 now kind of established writers uh, in our demographic. Uh, Jay has become our chief design officer and has uh, established a real 
credible brand mark for us. So our, our logo is, is really important to us in terms of how we market it, how it appears in all of our goods and, and, and consumer goods is a big portion of the business. So there's a media entity that is outsider, outsider.com, all the social extensions of that video, social, et cetera, events uh, are coming as well. Um, and then there's the other side of our business, which is consumer goods, which today, if you were to go to the, the Shopify store we launched, it's hats, it's hoodies, it's all the things that help market our brand and, and create a community with people, you know, wearing our mark, wearing our, our branding. Uh, Jay's the architect of all of that, but we have a lot more coming down the pike that's really exciting. And I think the big um, opportunity for Outsider is, you know, the combination of those two things and how they intersect and how we build a community that will not only consume our media, uh, wear, you know, wear a brand and attend our events, but also uh, be excited to buy consumer goods for us that we are manufacturing and distributing and carry our mark. I have to correct you because you left off on Jay's resume that he and Kristen had a fantastic cameo in the league, uh, which was really good as well. So that's probably at the top of his accomplishments as well. I'm sure that's, yeah, I missed that <laughs> one. But um, people ask me a lot what it's like working uh, with Jay. It's been like only a few months now, although there was a lot of lead up to me coming on board and, you know, joining as CEO of Outsider. And it's been really great um, because, you know, like I said, uh, Jay's our chief design officer, but he's also like a lead talent in, within our programming. You see him creating a lot of new IP driven shows um, that are living on the outsider platforms. That's been really fun to, to kind of see him find his, his new voice through outsider. Um, and he's just very involved in the day-to-day -day business. He's in the office whenever I'm in Nashville. So that's been, that's been fun. And I'm excited for what the future holds working together with Shannon and Jay. So speaking of the, the future of outsider. So for, for those who aren't familiar with outsider firsthand yet, what is it that makes Outsider so different than some other brands in the space? You know, Outsider is a media brand first, uh, but also a lifestyle company uh, that celebrates American culture through entertainment, through sports and sports lifestyle, through country music, through uh, news to a degree. We're really trying to create a platform and a community uh, of like-minded people who uh, one, celebrate American culture and lifestyle through all the things I mentioned, uh, share in those, you know, interests uh, and a way of life um, and celebrate them um, versus trying to be so like polarizing and divisive. And I think that's one thing. Um, and then again, I think that we have some really unique, you know, assets in the leadership here. And uh, when you have, when you look at the track record again of Shannon, who built rivals.com, 24-7 sports, comicbook.com and popculture.com. You know, he's got an incredible uh, background in building audiences around a particular demographic, lifestyle, niche um, at scale and monetizing that through SEO, advertising, programmatic, et cetera. And that's where Outsider is today, where he's gotten it to and where we'll continue to grow our baseline. Um, then you bring me to the, the picture who has, you know, a lot of background in sales and sponsorships in how to create IP driven shows and monetize those, how to take those from the internet into the real world and create experiential events for your fans and your community to bring them together and have them really feel like they're part of the creation of what you're making. Um, and then this third component, which is the consumer products division uh, that we're really bullish on. 
that we see the beginnings and a lot of traction already, but we have barely begun scratching the surface on what we think we can accomplish on that front. Yeah, it's exciting. Like I'm, I'm excited on your behalf of going from. I, I mean, it's funny because Barstool is, in the grand scheme of of companies, is is still like a super young company, but obviously is very established and has grown so much over the years. And and you've worked at plenty of companies before that that have you know even longer histories. And um, it's it's really exciting to move to a a new role in such a new company with with so much potential and and. And now having the amazing relationships you've had throughout your career as well, your role—you know—you're changing. You're, you're going from most recently chief revenue officer to chief executive. Chief—I don't know—I stumble over that. Chief executive <laughs> officer now, CEO. How have you changed, kind of your your goals and, and priorities now that uh, you know you're literally the person leading the charge with all this stuff? Yeah, it is a big change. Uh, it's like what you said, we were talking before you turned on the recording, right? Like you've gone from having last time we talked a girlfriend to now a fiance, like the roles are the same changing, thing as right? your uh, career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you stumble over it sometimes. And, and frankly, importantly, like it's important to remember and, and recognize the, the change in role and not fall back into only doing what I've done before and what I know so well. Um, I've been in some form of a digital media sales role or leadership role uh, since, you know, longer than I'd like to say, but 1999. So, and this is a business that has grown so much and changed so much from that time. And yet there's certain some fundamentals in, in sales and advertising sales and media sales that, you know, still apply to everything on that front. So what I would say that, you know, my priorities have changed is, you know, you can't sell until you have things to sell. So my focus right now is, um, you know, more on the building of, what are we actually taking to market? What is our positioning and how are we going and how quickly can we go versus what was the pipeline looking like last month and what does it look like now and what's the close ratio and all those things. We'll get there. I'm excited to get there and I think we'll get there very quickly. And I'm definitely looking for the right people to come in and step into those roles um, so that I'm not stepping backwards, right? So I think that is one of the tricky parts um, of making a, a major career step change um, at any level. And so it's something I think about constantly, but um, it would be easy to fall back into the role of like, hey, I know how to create a pipeline. I know how to do sales. I know how to hire a couple salespeople to get that going. And I am doing that, trust me. Like that's, that is a pri priority for us, but there's so much more to do. Um, and again, this whole consumer products division, that's a completely other beast, uh, which is one of the reasons I wanted to come here. Like I, I worked on a lot of cool partnerships at Barstool that went from uh, not just being advertising partnerships, but went from advertising to advertising plus, you know, a licensing deal, a royalty on a product sold, you know, skin in the game partnerships, where if you really want us to move the needle for you, let us participate in the upside and then watch what we can really do to, to really, you know, fuel the growth of your product. Best examples of that would be in the alcohol space with Pink Whitney and High Noon. Um, but there was a lot of others. We launched a men's grooming line. We launched a frozen pizza. We had a bunch of things, you know, irons in the fire when I was leaving. But really creation of those products from, from start to finish and then going out and marketing them, that's a different, that's a different animal altogether. So we're, we're in R&D on several products that we think will really appeal to our demographic. Um, and I'm also on the, you know, building the audience front and also community. We just did our first big event in Nashville about two weeks ago. We partnered with NASCAR around race week in Nashville. Uh, we partnered with a group called Whiskey Jam, which is an awesome country music 
concert series that happens throughout the summer um, in a massive parking lot venue in, in Midtown Nashville. And we had thousands of people come through an event that was heavily branded outsider in NASCAR. Uh, we literally had like stock cars parked in the audience and outsider signage around the stage. And Whiskey Jam brings a big following and big audience there. But thousands of people walk through that venue. I'm super proud to, to see that come to life. And that in such a short amount of time of being here. So looking for you know, more opportunities to also bring our brand from the digital realm to the physical realm, because I think that will help create a sense of community that is hard to do in the digital space alone. Well, Deirdre, it's it's so cool to to hear these things come to life. And we know there'll be many, many more events and uh, exciting fireworks and uh, partnerships and brandscapes. Uh, shout out Drew Davis for that term. Uh, so yeah, lots and lots of potential with Outsider and, and super cool and, and know uh, you and have an awesome fantastic team behind it uh alongside you as well so thanks again for uh for coming on and and sharing the story and all is new with you and outsider uh you can learn more at outsider.com and all the social media channels uh, your content is a well-oiled machine already last thing here special episode 200 edition of final thoughts uh which you have to recite the abcs backwards as quick as you can no i'm just kidding it, it could be whatever you want send us home here uh, stage, is, stage is yours <laughs> Look, I think what you're doing here and, and the fact that we're celebrating your 200th episode and you powered through a pandemic to get that off the ground and get that going is a true testament to the power and the, uh, the impact of consistency. So if I could say anything to anyone, it's figure out how to get things done and then do it consistently. Um, obviously, pivot and change as needed along the way. But I think that is what I've seen so many businesses and individuals and content creators and new companies who've made it through the last couple of years and look back in the rearview mirror and be like, holy crap, I can't believe we did all of that through such a challenging time personally and professionally. And consistency seems to be the common thread that drove those people's uh, and those companies' success. Once it gets to like 50, 100, 150 locations, how do you ensure that you're still delivering that same fantastic customer experience? Well, I mean, it's the single hardest part of the whole thing, <laughs> you know, and as we've grown and scaled, I mean, that's obviously what's like most near and dear to my heart, you know, which is like, you know, creating that, you know, that environment and that experience that you're no matter what dry bar you're sitting in, in one part of the country, it's always really great. And, you know, I mean, that's like, you know, we've, we've put a lot of like robust training into place and we have, you know, stylists that are trainers and we have lots of different, you know, checks and balances and, you know, lots of different procedures and things that happen before stylists go on the floor. But, you know, it's not perfect over the years, like, you know, it kind of has ebbed and flowed and sometimes we were doing it better than others. And, you know, it's been a major learning experience, you know, and it's obviously not just the stylist, it's like the customer service and how our bartenders are treating people. So it's like a constant never-ending project and thing that we have to always stay on to make sure. And, and as you would imagine, my, the big compliment I can get from, from, you know, a client is that like, oh, you know, I, I was in everywhere I go, it's great. You know, and that's like the best compliment I could hear because it is, it's really hard, you know, and it's like a lot <laughs> of oversight, it's a lot of systems. It's a lot of like staying on top of people. And, you know, like I said, I think sometimes we've, we've done it better than others, you know, and it's, and it's, so, it's the people, you know, it's making sure that you have the right people in place. And, and, and sometimes we have, and sometimes we haven't. Oh, 
Wow, that was a hot start. I had like a frog in my throat right at the gate. So <laughs> as a reminder, I do edit. You do right, edit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just start off hot. Oh, that was not starting off on the right note. One second. <laughs> literally, literally the wrong note. <clears throat> Holy fuck, that was loud. I don't know why my headphones were all the way up. <laughs> That's how I start off every interview. You not only studied abroad in Spain, but you one of your majors was Spanish language and lit. It was, and, indeed. And lit. Wait, I need to say that again because my voice cracked and I'm going to get destroyed <laughs> by my fiance. <laughs> you um, let your business run wild. Let your business run wild. Until next time, let your business... Excuse me. He ha- he has hum- uh, yes he, he has humped. <laughs> he has a hump a hump. He has. <laughs> he he has humped. <laughs> that was next. <laughs> All right. He. he- Sometimes it is the biggest grind in the world. Just to say Tim Timmons was umping a game, not not humping a game. Thank you so much, Deirdre, Allie, and, and all the guests over the past 100 episodes who have been more than willing to put up with, with my mistakes. Now, it is time for the special announcement. So I am extremely excited. I'm trying to, to drum roll the, the mic. This probably sounds terrible. Finally. We are launching very, very soon the Podcasting to the Max newsletter. It it has a pun in its name, and there's more where that came from. Podcasting to the Max newsletter, here is what you can expect. It's going to be written by yours truly. I'm still still fine-tuning some of the fine details, but it will definitely have behind-the-scenes from the Wild Business Growth Podcast. It will have entrepreneurship lessons and quick bits of valuable advice from Wild Business Growth Podcast gets guests uh, and gets it will include podcasting tips yes that includes podcast production and podcast hosting it goes to three p's of podcasting podcast planning podcast production podcast promotion and a p that might even be the most important and that is puns surely there will be some puns and don't call me surely so how do you sign up all you have to do is go to maxpodcasting.com, scroll down to the bottom of the homepage, and you'll see a thing there that says Podcasting to the Max. Just put in your name and email, and you will be signed up. That's maxpodcasting.com. Scroll to the bottom, put in your name and email, and you are prepped to start receiving the Podcasting to the Max newsletter very, very, very soon. Now, this is a wonderful time for a halftime break. So before we take the actual break, uh, we have some musical performers. So please, round of applause for special guests Stacy Madison of Stacy's Pita Chips and Jessica Lee Clark Bojan, who has uh, a, a very special rendition of her own. Enjoy. So this woman comes out um, and it's a commercial for a perfume. Uh, I will sing it because the song is catching and she, she comes out and she's scrambling, you know, she's got a fry pan and a wooden spoon and, a, and like a sexy dress. And she's singing, I can bring home the bacon. 
Ba-na-na-na. Fry it up in the pan. Da-da-na-na. And never, ever, ever let you forget you're a man. Cause I'm a woman. Angele. And she talks, and, the, and then they have a bottle of perfume that comes out and, and you know, the, the soft smoke that goes around her. Uh, I'll have a big Mac McDLT, a quarter pounder with cheese filet, a fish, a hamburger, a cheeseburger, make chicken and make nuggets, tasty golden French of regular and larger size and salad, chef or garden or a chicken salad oriental and for breakfast, hot up cakes and sausage, maybe omelette, McMuffin, all three kinds of Danish hash, my two and four dessert, hot apple pie, a Sunday, three varieties of sausage, co- three kinds of cookies, no, three kinds of shakes and chocolatey chip cookies and to drink a Coca-Cola diet, coke or orange, drink a Sprite and coffee and a chocolate, also apple, orange, grapefruit juice. I love McDonald's, good time, great taste, and I get this all in one place. Thank you so much, Stacy and Jessica. That I, I'm speechless. I I'm ready to eat at McDonald's and uh, ready to to sing. And I'm never ready to sing. Okay, time for the official halftime break. If you so choose to pause right now, this is a good time. That's somewhat in the middle of the episode, uh, so you can hit pause, return to whatever you were doing with, with your full attention, and you can pause right about. No. And we're back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Now, let's officially kick off the second half with a wonderful mix of highlights from returning guests, including Don Dixon Apagane on the Flat Out story, full of ahas, Dan Harden of Whipsaw on the concept of balance tension when it comes to design and just, just the beauty of it. Betty Brennan of Taylor Studios on why she chose to do what she does and uh, a wonderful quote about Wooly Mammoths and an impression from Alana Ben-Ari that will just quack you up. To kick things off, pun intended with kick, let's talk about some sore feet. You have a, a closer relationship with sore feet <laughs> than probably the average entrepreneur. When did you realize that sore feet was an actual pain point that you could start a business around? Yeah, that was a good kickoff, Max. Very, thank very you. Clever. Thank you. It was all, it, it came from the soul. Get it? <laughs> okay. So, yes, <laughs> yes. All women who wear heels and those of our male friends who wear heels all know that heels really, really hurt. They're not made for comfort. And I mean, we just deal with it, right? Like since the beginning of women wearing heels, we just know it's unbearable pain that we deal with. But in 2001, I mean, at this point I was, I'm not gonna say my age, but I'm in my think 20s. You know, I had a lot of, spent a lot of time partying and hanging out and going to conferences and traveling in heels. I was ready for a new business idea. I'm an entrepreneur, obviously now for 20 years, but at, at that point, I think I was in like year nine or 10. I really like actually prayed on it. Like I want a new thing to do. I'm not inspired. I'd say about a week later, I was out hanging out with friends in South Beach in Miami wearing heels and my feet were literally on fire. It was like one of those really high, super high heel, eight inches or whatever, six inches, super high heel. I'm sore thinking about that. Fire, it's burning, it's horrible. And that was when I got the, the aha moment as Oprah would say, it's like, wait a minute, my feet are killing me. I want to take them off. I don't want to wear sneakers. I don't want to wear flip-flops. First of all, I'm out and I can't carry sneakers or flip-flops with me to change my shoes. How can I solve this problem when I'm out? I said, well, I can carry some flats in my purse. That's easy. Okay. But the flats need to be able to be compact so that 
I don't have to carry a huge bag. I said, well, what if they're rollable and very lightweight? This is all in my head, me and me having a full conversation. What if they're rollable and or foldable? Okay, that's a good idea. How are people going to get them? Hmm. Because when their feet hurt the most, that's a pain point. They need to solve it right away. How can we get them to them right away? What delivers things right away? Aha, vending machines. So that was the idea. Sell shoes and vending machines that are portable, lightweight, that roll and fold for women to carry with them when they experience high heel pain. If you put all of those components together, sometimes it will be like a bad soup. And where you're like, well, I put everything in there, mom. And, you know, I put the carrots and the celery and the chickens in there. But darn it, it just, it just tastes like mush. It tastes like dishwater. As a designer, you need to make certain decisions where you sometimes will amplify one of the variables to a point where you can understand it through the caricaturization of that particular variable. In other words, I'm going to make that, I'm going to amplify the taste of the chicken broth in a way where that's the primary read and everything else is support. So yes, there's balance because you have all the right components for success there that you've built into your product. But it's okay if it makes a statement. It's okay if one of the variables, whether it's an aesthetic feature, it might be like a little piece of stainless steel on the edge of a product. And it doesn't really have any other function there except to be the hook, the hook that breaks the balance, the disruptive element that makes you remember it. What is it that attracted you to museums as a business outlet for what you do? Well, you know, it's just like I said in the beginning, it's like, wow, people do this for a living. So you can go out there and tell these stories that impact thousands and thousands of visitors. And you get to tell these really cool stories, you know, about history or archaeology and paleontology or culture. And why isn't that attractive, right? You know, and, and you do it in a really creative way. I mean, we, you know, we're known for our scenic work and our biological accuracy and our paleontological accuracy. And, you know, we started in that niche, the scenic realm. I mean, other business ideas I had before that were like, you know, we were going to do this retail shop where people come and tell their fishing stories or even the interactive computer programming. It's just not as cool (laughs) as, (laughs) as telling stories in 3d for, you know, for, Places like Gettysburg and Adler Planetarium and the D-Day Museum, now called the World War II Museum in New Orleans and Smithsonian. I mean, we've done work in all those places all over the United States. We've worked in 44 states and four countries and done over 700 projects. I mean, you know, maybe that's looking back and saying, yeah, why wouldn't you want to do that? But think about how many people we've impacted with inspiring, memorable stories. So why wouldn't you want to do that? You know, it's just, you know, who doesn't want to build woolly mammoths? <laughs> that's, I say that every morning right after waking up. I imagine, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like to think that I'm really good with, with crazy um, voices. So I can do kind of a, a Donald Duck. But I also, you're going to have to do that. Yeah. And I realized as I said that, (laughs) oh man, this is not going to go. So that's not words, but I can, (laughs) I can try to do that, but I, um, (laughs) 
Holy cow. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Betty. Thank you, Mr. Duck. <laughs> Thank you, Alana, for that brilliance. Next up, we have returning guest Melanie Diesel, who talks about her new business, The Convoy, followed by the highlight of Marcus Whitney, serial entrepreneur, serial creative entrepreneur on why this is such a great time to create. And finally, co-founder of Podcast Movement, Jared Easley, with a mix of a dad joke, which, I mean, if you know Jared, that's that's Jared, and uh, some beatboxing. Alrighty, we are back with a very special returning special guest interview, Melanie Diesel, who is cooking with gas in the world of content marketing, entrepreneurship, and, and beyond, and there's endless... Uh, gas puns with that and diesel puns. Anyway, <laughs> Melanie, welcome back. You were on in episode 105, which is back in August 2020. Oh. Holy shit. <laughs> in that interview, we talked about Story Fuel. We talked about your book, The Content Fuel Framework. And we talked like a surprising amount about toilets and like toilet listicles and uh, just like a lot of toilet examples and diaper blowouts. So no idea. But uh, But how have you been since then? I mean, I've been good. Apparently, a lot less toilet action than I guess maybe we would have predicted. <laughs> good, good. That's what's most important here. No, life's been life's been good. There's been a lot of change over in my world since then. It's it seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah, it really was. I mean, you were just like entering kindergarten back then. <laughs> I think I referred to you in that episode as a brainstorming queen because, like, you 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 somehow put a, a framework to brainstorming, and so you have like this whole livelihood in the content marketing space and then out of nowhere like since that interview you've started another business called the convoy what is the convoy you know this idea is my husband's actually we co-founded the business together with uh, two other founders but what we realize is that you know so much of our economy and so much of you know employment is done by small businesses uh, you know, independent businesses, not chains or franchises, but, you know, mom and pops or or whatever the, the new age version of that is. And yet those companies get often the worst pricing for all of their supplies, all their technology, everything else, because there's just one of them, right? Like they don't get the benefit of economies of scale, whereas your corner pizza shop is paying a lot more for cheese and dough than, you know, Domino's, for example. So the convoy essentially combines the buying power of independent businesses to basically give give them franchise level pricing on supplies by combining their buying power together. So we're helping independent business owners save money by helping cut expenses, getting them you know better pricing on on whether it's services or software, um, all kinds of stuff, you know, helping to to essentially just negotiate and get them better pricing so they can do more of what they do best, which is essentially, you know, being the core of our communities. Awesome. I, I mean, I can't stand small business. You know, they just don't add anything. They're just, they're just very disappointed. No, just no it, it's really cool. It's a strong, obviously all for small businesses and it's a really strong mission behind everything. And, and the fact that you're, you're saving fellow business owners money is, is amazing. How exactly does it work? Like, can you give us an example of like what type of service or, or partner that a business that user service would be saving money on? you go to the convoy.com and log in, you can actually, or you don't even have to log in. You can just view, we have a marketplace of 200 plus pre-negotiated deals. So you could sort by whatever the things are that your business needs. So just some examples, we've got discounts for Zoom on there, for payroll software, for uh, signage and banners that you might need to print, for office furniture, for office supplies, N95 masks, you know, cleaning supplies. It, it really runs the gamut. 
but the whole idea is, you know, though we started with the things that many different types of businesses need. So we may not have just yet, you know, the, the hyper-specific thing that you need for your industry. For example, you know, we might not have the pizza oven that you need for your pizza shop because we don't have as many members who are looking for that. But we are launching that ability to take your requests of the things that you are looking for that aren't included yet in the marketplace. And essentially, once we get enough requests for the same type of item, we go to that manufacturer or, you know, a manufacturer and try to get a discounted price based on how many of our members are, are interested in that item. And the reason that these businesses, you know, these bigger companies don't give better pricing to small businesses is it's not because they're like, you know, patently evil, although I'm sure some of them are. It's really just it's economies of scale. Like it's it's so much easier to sell to a bunch of businesses at once versus small businesses one by one. So that's essentially what we're doing is giving them the opportunity to sell to a bunch of small businesses at once. And then it makes sense for them to have more efficient pricing, just like they do for these other businesses. So, yeah, so the way it works, you just sign in, you can create a free account. Uh, small businesses don't currently pay to be members. We're really just trying to help help them survive. So there's no reason not to sign in at convoy.com, check out the discounts, save on whatever you can and let us know what else you need so we can keep on uh, negotiating for you. Well, here, here you are, Melanie Diesel from The Convoy, a truly evil company that has a <laughs> free of charge access for small businesses. I, I just, I don't know how you live with yourself. Well, that's, that's so cool. And on the personal side of that, how's the experience been building a business with your husband? Oh, it's awesome. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of concerns that some companies have about, you know, partners working together in a business. But the reality is like, we know how the other communicates. We know how the other thinks. Uh, we have a lot of, you know, quote, out of office time that we're still brainstorming and, and coming up with ideas. So it's been good, you know, like, like any job change, it's always an adjustment to get the hang of things and startups move really fast. And that means a lot of change all the time. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's been really cool, you know, to, to work with someone who you know so well, and and also just to work with our team in general, because it is, it is a really mission-driven company. Like we're really in it to help small businesses, and it feels good to work for a company where we're all aligned on those values, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, and I'm super pumped for my pizza oven as well. So that's, that's just a nice <laughs> perk to throw in there. When you look back, I mean, Story Fuel is something that you like fueled your passion into for years. Uh, what is something that you learned from kind of the Story Fuel journey that you've applied to the convoy so far? The biggest one probably is just flexibility. I think especially, you know, I mean, as trite as it is to talk about the last few years as unprecedented times, like I certainly had to learn how to adjust my business and be responsive to stuff that I never possibly could have planned for. Uh, and I think that's really good preparation for a startup life, actually. Things move really quickly and, you know, you're always having shifting priorities and, and bringing new people into the fold. So that was definitely good preparation. In a weird way, uh, you know, being a business owner in the pandemic helped uh, make the transition to startup life easier. And just to to bring it back for a throwback toilet pun, you could say it's preparation H. <laughs> oh, God. It <laughs> yeah, came absolutely full full flush circle there. Exactly. So so let's uh, let's flush this out before uh, we get into any more trouble. <laughs> Melanie, thank you so much. This has been really cool reconnecting and so excited about the convoy. And it's just got such a strong mission behind it. And uh, toilet puns are not really, really cool what you're doing. To wrap things up, it is a special episode 200 additional final thoughts, which could, which could literally be anything or it could be a story about your favorite toilet, whatever you want. <laughs> Send us home here. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna steer clear of the toilets. I don't I, I don't think I want that to become my brand, but uh, it may yeah, be too late that. for that. But <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think the one piece of advice I'd give just if you're in this situation, you're a business owner, you're you've got a side hustle, whatever it is, know your worth. I think that too many folks when they're starting out, there's this this like crippling imposter syndrome that says, Why me? Why should anyone pay me? You know, why why would I make it when so many other businesses don't? That kind of mentality will really undermine you. And you need to be the one who believes in you. So if nothing else, know your worth and keep on hustling because the world needs your story just as much as they need the good work that you're doing. Build the new normal. You know, man, you have an opportunity. You're living in this moment. You know, if you can stay healthy, you know, stay positive and, and get your bills paid, you know, you might have an opportunity to like build what the new world is going to look like. So create. This is a time to create. You know, the, the number of opportunities that are emerging right now are unbelievable. And so this is a time like you don't have to let the new normal happen to you. You can build it. Uh, well, and again, these aren't very good. So just, just know that. Doing <laughs> that, that goes without <laughs> saying what that does. <laughs> so what do you call a pop singer's friends? Oh, I'm not even going to try. Go for it. Brittany Spears. Oh man. Wow. Yeah. Bra- bravo. That's- yeah. That's the, I, I told you it's not good, but <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and you can edit that out. I know that was horrible. Yeah. No, that's I might edit out the rest of what you've said, but I'll keep that part in. <laughs> All right. What is a weird talent that you have? Something that you're really good at that many people would be surprised to know. Something that has nothing to do with podcast movement. I'm I'm a reasonable beatboxer. Oh, nice. Is there yes. is there like a four second beatbox you can do for us here? <laughs> All right. Hard to beat that. Get it? Uh, it's, a, it's a beatboxing joke. <laughs> Thank you so much, Melanie, Marcus, and Jared, for coming back, dropping the wisdom in episode 200. Next up, we have the return of Max B versus Max B. <laughs> Max Brickman of Heartland Ventures, who uh, is feeling a little 30 under 30, and uh, maybe flirty as well. Following that, we have Dr. Trouble himself, Rob Fletcher, incredibly good chili sauce, who reveals a little insight into why he fits the nickname. And voices on voices on voices. Uh, And some rapping as well from the super talented Amanda Natividad and Jessica Hitchcock. Alrighty, we are back with the corniest interview possible because the first time we did this, I just cannot let it go that we are both Max B. Max B and Max B, Max Brickman, Mr. Heartland Ventures. Back for episode 200, uh, Max, we had you on originally in episode 145 back in May 2021. How you doing? The Midwest machine himself. Thanks for joining again today. That, thanks for having me back, a uh, fellow Max Max Beer. Oh, that that is so corny. Yeah, congrats on 200 episodes. This is This is terrific. I'm excited to be a part of it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, without you, it would have been 199. So I'm oh, very, yeah. no, I I really appreciate it. It's been really surreal. And I, I don't know if you feel this way. I kind of feel like we were just in classes at Kelly together. So uh, I guess a few things have happened over the years, but yeah, it's been a beautiful blur. Yeah. Time has definitely flown by. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for uh, everything that you've, you've done since then. Perfect. And, and what you do just bores me. So we're going to sign off now. <laughs> no, no, but, uh, Super cool. So uh, back in the original 
interview, we talked about kind of the, the Heartland Venture story and your clean slate story and your your endless different businesses and real estate and investing kind of growing up and as a teenager teenager and as you as you turn into a real boy. <laughs> but uh now uh fast forward and Heartland Ventures is doing super well. You're expanding your portfolio. And I want to kick off by talking about you since our last step, not because of maybe in spite of the last episode we did together, uh, have been named to Forbes 30 under 30. So congrats oh, on that. That That is you. incredible. Uh, that That's, uh, I think, something that a lot of people dream of being and, and and you've realized it. So that's really, really cool. How how's that experience been kind of finding out that news and then uh, any fallout since then? Well, yeah, thank you. I mean, it, it was it was definitely exciting. But while those aren't the end goal by any means, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you're used to, you know, putting your head down, you know, I'd be lying if I said, you know, being able to have some sort of reinforcement that that you might be on the right track is, is helpful because, you know, it can be lonely, you know, when you're working on something alone and you don't have a, a supervisor or a boss to, to give you that constant feedback of investors, but they're a bit disconnected from what you're doing on a, on a normal day to day. And while, you know, again, the, the, the judges are only looking at the information that's shared with them, uh, you know, it's still nice to be able to, to have that recognition. And uh, it definitely helps, you know, strategically just on, on a fundraising side and, and uh, you know, credibility for, you know, portfolio companies that we might be looking at, at investing in. So it was a great experience. I met, uh, you know, a ton of people through it. Obviously, during COVID, the programming is a bit different um, than it probably was before. But certainly a great opportunity to to meet really interesting people from from around the country, around the world. Yeah, it was it's been it's been fun. You're humble. You say it's not a wasn't a big goal of yours, but I remember like you you never paid attention in class. You always drew sketches of the term thirty under thirty on your notepad. <laughs> I always, I always saw it, so I knew it was something. No, no, but it is you know any awards like that? Some people can say they're nice accolades or alkylate I always mess up that word you know but but what really matters is you know how the business performs and all that but no no question from a PR standpoint like that's one of the best wins you can have as an entrepreneur um, especially be, being such a young and <laughs> but uh what reaction have you seen from clients and kind of potential new clients or new portfolio companies when they find out that you know Heartland Ventures now is kind of 30 under 30 backed if you will yeah, the feedback from investors was was definitely positive. And when you're fundraising um, and you're new to a to a new city and you're younger, uh, there's a lot of you know hills you have to climb there uh, to to establish credibility. And while you know it's still you know a third party who also doesn't really know you that's that's vouching for you being being Forbes, it does still give a certain amount of credibility to to help kind of ease some of the you know credibility concerns that that new folks might might have when you're when you're going into a new city and when you're when you're raising money from from somebody new. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great word. Credible. That's like the stamp of credibility. I think there are there are definitely a lot of other ways to establish credibility. I, I you know, I, I definitely wouldn't, you know, I do know people that have gotten, you know, very frustrated or, or upset that that haven't gotten it, that are that have accomplished much, much more than than I have. And, you know, I think it's it's a bit of a, a coin toss and it's a bit of focusing on on maybe what they you know, happening to match, happening to match what they want. You know, again, for anyone who didn't get it or or who's kind of past that that threshold, it's definitely not a end all be all. Again, I know tons of people who have accomplished much more that didn't get it and were upset at the time, and and they got over it. 
I, I thought every morning you wake up now and it's you always have stress free days and it's it's just sunshine everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> sunshine everywhere it resolves everything, right? Congrats again on that. Super cool. Uh, what else is new with Heartland Ventures? And what else in the in the past year since we first recorded? Oh man, what's the the most exciting development you'd like to share? I, I the, the biggest is um, that, that we're able to share at this moment is uh, is really just the expansion. Um, you know, this is something where we've been starting in Indiana, expanded to Ohio, and continuing to expand beyond that. Have grown the team pretty substantially, and are continuing to grow the team. And, and for us, that's just exciting. You know, for anyone who's adding employees, it, it's exciting. Um, it just allows us to do a lot more and expand. You know, what our vision is and what our model is. Um, into new markets around the Midwest. So we've been very excited to do that. And, and that's led up to our, our second fund, which, you know, first fund, you know, being definitely a grind to raise, um, you know, $15 million fund several years ago, um, being able to prove that and, and going into fund two, the most exciting thing is all, all of our investors from the first fund came in for the second fund. And we were able to add in about 50 new investors in, in Ohio for a, a fund amount that we'll announce shortly, but it's you know many multiples of where we were in the first fund. So we're, we're very excited to be able to have that you know, additional capital to, to continue investing and, and continue expanding the model. I love the, uh, the endless love you and, you and team give back to uh, the Midwest and, and so many businesses that are, that are so cool and so many family-owned businesses in the Midwest as well. So just absolutely love what you do. Now they're, you're truly stepping into this next level of scaling and expanding. What's the number one thing that you think you've learned early on that has allowed you to to kind of get to this next level? It's a good question. I, I think communication with early stakeholders for sure. Um, you can't have you know one on one meetings with every person who you know is aware of what you're doing throughout the whole time, right? You're you're going to meet people early on who like what you're doing or who are supportive, and it's very easy for six months, twelve months to go by and to not have any communication or dialogue with that person and that other person might be busy. And it's, it's not realistic to say that you're going to get coffee with everyone you you've ever met every three or six months to stay in contact with them. So what we've really focused on doing is, you know, good outward communication, um, having very regular stakeholder updates every month, um, emails that are, you know, very targeted to all the people that, that we've met with in the past, um, updating them on what we're doing, not necessarily asking anything, not, requesting time from them, but just sort of briefing them on things that were relevant maybe to the conversation that, you know, we initially had. Um, keeping those relationships warm and, and evolving has allowed for, you know, a, as years have gone on to build rapport with those folks so that now when Fund 2 comes along, we feel like we, I feel like I still know these people. They, they feel like they've gotten to know me over the last few years um, and and it becomes much easier to to engage them for, maybe to invest or maybe a referral for someone that we're looking to hire or uh, an introduction or, or whatever it might be. So I think just keeping a database of all of the people you've met and keeping them engaged somehow in a way that doesn't require a lot of their time, being conscious very much of their time, at least I try to be, of, of the, our, our investors' time um, has really helped build our network and, and allowed us to scale. All Max B's are great communicators. That's that's what I always <laughs> say. That's what I've always learned as well. But uh, Max, congrats again on on all the success and the the, the newer growth since we first spoke. Super exciting and uh, Forbes again, super super cool. Thanks again for coming back on and to wrap us up here, a special episode two hundred edition of Final Thoughts. 
which is, uh, it has to be exactly 200 syllable. No, I'm just kidding. No, it could be whatever you want. <laughs> just uh, send us home here. Honestly, congratulations to you. This is, this is terrific. I've been a, a, a regular listener uh, before and, and since uh, I've been on the show. I've, I've loved being on it. Uh, I've learned a ton from it. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to be involved and, and really congratulations. What is the hottest pepper that you have ever eaten personally? So I'll tell you a story. I, I was in a shop in, in our local city, Harare, one day, and an Indian guy was standing next to me at the counter, and he found out that I was the maker of Dr. Trouble, and he said to me, well, would you like to try a cashew nut? So I looked at him suspiciously, and I said, show me your cashew nuts. And he brought me a packet of cashew nuts, which looked suspiciously dusted with something. I licked my pinky and I touched it on a cashew nut and tried it. And I immediately detected the Carolina Reaper. Oh no. So I didn't partake of the cashew nut. I had a <laughs> giggle and I said, I know what you're trying to do. I said, but will you please give me a packet of your cashew nuts? And I then took the long journey back to the foothills of the Zambezi Valley, got back to the farm, and my amazing wife, Lucy, who basically does everything which is, makes Dr. Trouble a business, was sitting at her computer, and I pretended to be chewing with with an open packet of cashew nuts and I walked in and she loves cashew nuts. And I said, you want a cashew nut? And so without looking up from the screen, she put her hands in the packet and put two or three cashew nuts in her mouth. <laughs> then my children and I broke out into giggles because about three minutes later, my beautiful wife was standing in the garden with a two liter bottle of milk, <laughs> pouring it oh my God. into her mouth and calling, calling me all kinds of names. I see where Dr. Trouble comes from now. <laughs> I do a lot of weird voices for my kid. He, he likes <laughs> that on. a lot. Can you, can you please uh, <laughs> go on? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I do it, but when we're doing puzzles together and if the puzzle pieces don't fit, I start doing this like little voice that's like oh no that doesn't work oh, <laughs> oh <my God>. and- <laughs> this, that's that's the stuff of uh either nightmares or dream i don't, I don't even know nightmares. but that's some that's uh, yeah nightmares but <laughs> that's yeah, a stuff that's, of PBR tweets. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing i can picture the the puzzle pieces too that's a little too vivid <laughs> a little bit too much yeah but, but my kid loves it he cracks up every time so obviously i keep doing it that's one <laughs> So maybe maybe that's one of the quirks weird talents. I could do a couple of little weird. Yeah, voices. it, it kind of blends a little bit. Like, do you have names for these voices? Is there is there a, like is there a second one that's like a stark difference from that? Oh, there is another one. Um, I, I feel like I used to have little characters for them, but I don't remember what this character <laughs> was anymore. But it was like I don't know. I think I called it like old timey newspaper boy, and it was sort of like, oh come on guys, come on. <laughs> I love that one. That's amazing. Oh, shucks. Oh, my God. Oh, shucks. Come on, everyone. Will you buy a paper from me? Come on. 
I can do the voice of Lois Griffin from Family Guy. No way. You can't. All right. Yeah. You take as much time as you want, but you have to do that <laughs> right now. Come on, Peter. What colors a fire truck? Oh, that's right, Peter. They are red. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's odd. That's such a hard voice to do. I've never heard anybody do that. That Wow. Congrats. I didn't That's, take... <laughs> are you Alex? Uh, are Alex you the actual Borstein. voice of her? Yeah, Alex Borstein. <laughs> yeah, I'm also Alex Borstein. No, uh, no, I didn't even have to practice that. It was like one day I just wanted to talk like Lois. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I was for Christmas one or for Christmas, for Halloween one year, I was Lois. <laughs> while watching Die Hard. Yeah, while watching Die Hard. Um, but no, I was here for Halloween one year. And it was like the whole night I just talked like her. And by the end of the night, my throat was hurting pretty bad, but you need some water. Yeah, I needed water. That's amazing. I grew up on Family Guy, so this this is a yes. dream come true. All right, yeah, so what's I the next? I'm sure the next one will be even better. But no, what's no. the next? <laughs> um, do you remember TLC? Their song "Waterfalls." Of course, yeah. Okay, Are you, you do a TLC impression too. <laughs> well, Lisa Left Eye Lopez, she had a verse in there that she would sing, and my younger self, I like, spent so much time in my bedroom listening to that CD to learn that whole verse that she has so that I can rap it. And as an adult, I love it for karaoke. Like, so I can sing that whole verse that Lisa Left Eye Lopez does in the Waterfalls song. Oh my God. Are you up for it? Well, actually, are you up for doing it in the Lois Griffin? No, I'm just kidding. No, oh, that would be super tough. Are you um, up for it or at least a few lines of it? Yeah, I mean, I could do the whole, I mean, I could do the whole thing. Yeah, let me get a sip of water. Go for it. Yeah, take as many sips as, of that waterfall as you want. <laughs> nice. Okay. I seen a rainbow yesterday, but too many storms are come and gone, leaving a trace of not one God-given ray. Is it because my life is ten shades of gray? I pray all ten fade away, seldom praising for the sunny days. And like his promise is true, only my faith can undo the many chances I blew to bring my life to a new. Flea of blue and unconditional skies have dried the tears from my eyes, no more lonely cries. My only bleeding hope is for the folk who can't cope with such an adoring pain that it keeps them in the pouring rain. Who's to blame for tooting cane into your own vein? What a shame you shoot and aim for someone else's blame brain. You claim the insane and name this day in time for fall to pray to crime. I say the system's got you victim to your own mind. Dreams are hopeless aspirations and hopes are coming true. Believe in yourself. The rest is up to me and you. Whoa. End scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god all right you, my younger you... self would just thank me like you remembered it <laughs> okay i i am consistently amazed by voices and impressions and entrepreneurship tips uh, aren't too shabby as well thank you so much max b again incredible name rob fletcher dr trouble also incredible name and amanda and jessica for going wild for the wild business growth podcast now, as J. Cole once said, if you made it this far, I really fuck with you. This is the grand finale, the final batch of special specialties for the episode 200 special. We have the returning guest, the one and only Caitlin Brower, Sterling social media star and uh, football slash wine slash Real Housewife fan herself who puts me to the test about my Real Housewives knowledge, which is, is about negative. After that, we have Jerry Miller from FarmersOnly.com sharing the story behind that famous and infamous FarmersOnly.com commercial. MLB umpire Tim Timmons with a, a good story that will, that will make you chuckle. And finally, finally, we wrap up with Nancy Cartwright, the voice of Bart Simpson and friends, who does what she does best 
in the Simpsons Wild Pisses Growth Podcast crossover. Don't have a cow, man. Alrighty, we are back, back, and back again with Caitlin Brower, the social media superstar from Sterling. That's a lot of S's. Uh, who is is back? We go we go way back from that tweet back in 2018 that connected us. But uh, this is a special episode 200 edition. And Caitlin, you were back. You were on for the full interview back in episode 132. Uh, you had just turned age two, which is crazy, and it was in uh, February 2021. Wow! Ho- holy cow! Here, we- here we are again. Thank you so much for joining and kind of putting up with me for all these years. No, absolutely. And honestly, it's been a pleasure to get to know you. You know, online through Twitter, LinkedIn, all the funds to do through your podcast. You know, over the past couple of years, I'm so happy to be back. I know you're celebrating a milestone, so it's very, very cool to be here and to be a part of that. Thank you, thank you. Well, I appreciate it. So this is this is like two hundredth to the two hundredth power because obviously <laughs> this live as we speak, this is episode two hundred for Wild Business Growth Podcast. And we alluded to it and spoke a little bit about it in uh, in your interview back in episode one thirty two. But you know, in addition to all the social media and marketing and and stuff you do for you know your full time job, you have an awesome show that you do live, you do video, you do podcasts uh, called the Real Football Fans of New Jersey which I always joke about because it's amazing because I, I know so much about football and, and so little about uh, Real Housewives. So it's it's kind of a mix of everything, but who doesn't love glasses of wine? You guys mix that <laughs> in as well, no pun intended. But you were celebrating uh, recently getting to episode 200 for that as well. So congrats. We got 200s all around. 200 <laughs> on So t- 200 congratulations for you on that front as well. <laughs> No, I appreciate it. It was such a great milestone uh, for me and my co-host uh, Katie to to get to. You know, we've been doing this for over four years now, um, and it just was so awesome to finally hit. You know, hitting 100 was super fun. Uh, 200 was even better. So just to be able to hop on, you know, with and she's my best friend. Like that's always the cool side of it too. So my co-host is my best friend. So just what we deliver to our audience the most unique thing is like if you were to look at our text messages just every day to each other it all is football and housewives and now you're just kind of getting that behind the scenes view of what we're talking about every single day together yeah and it's really and i love that like if you watch your show or you listen or listen to your show like it really you feel the passion and like the history of two friends just kind of going back and forth, but of with like the latest current topics and it's areas you're super passionate about. So it, it's really fun. It's like no question uh, that you guys pick topics that you're interested about and want to kind of do for the long run in the first place. But as as I know, as many people know, it takes a ton of grit and time and effort, <laughs> uh, especially when it's on top of you know your full time job to get to that level. So so congrats again for that. And I guess my biggest question for you as a as a 200 elder, <laughs> we'll call you, is um, what advice do you have for anybody that wants to start a podcast somewhere in a space that they're, you know, maybe it's sports, maybe it's a TV show, maybe just somewhere in a space that's, it's really not their day job, but they want to, you know, continue it to the lengths that you have. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we kind of look back on it. We laugh about it. You know, our first episode, you know, over four years ago was a Facebook live video, actually, you know, this wasn't a podcast to begin with, but we had just been told by friends and family, like you guys should really start a show. Like you should start a podcast. So we really took that, you know, in stride and, and really made it what it is today. My biggest recommendation is that, you know, 
this shouldn't be a job for you. There's so much work that goes in behind the scenes. There really is, but you should be passionate about it and you should be excited to show up daily. If that's what you choose to do for a podcast, if you do it, ours is weekly. Uh, we give about an hour's worth of content every week. So it might be time consuming, but it's so much fun. Like I said, I'm sitting down with my best friend once a week. I mean, we're talking every single day, but just once a week, we're recording ourselves talking and we're talking about things that we love. We're really trying to, you know, peel back the layers on so many things while the housewives is kind of more fun, a little cheeky, things like that. Football, you know, we're doing like high end analysis, like from end to end, everything in regards to football, the NFL, college, things like that. So if anything, we're really trying to make a name for ourselves there, but you can truly hear the passion behind what we're talking about and everything like that. And we just enjoy reading up on this stuff, watching football games, watching the housewives on TV. So if you want to start a podcast, that's great. Or if you want to start a live series on social media, I encourage it. You know, the more creators out there, the better. Um, We're not competing against each other. I mean, if you want to look at like the top list on like Apple podcast, of course, that's a competition. But at the end of the day, we can all learn so much from each other. So go out and make it, you know, there's no true competition, but make it something that you love, you enjoy. Because to me, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many viewers, subscribers we have. What is successful for me and my co-host Katie is that we're doing something that we actually love and that we're genuinely passionate about. And you could tell from listening and watching that you guys actually hate football. You hate Real Housewives. <laughs> you really, it's like it's it's just like a slog to, to get through it every week. So it's really depressing, actually. You know, besides episode... 200 though and and i totally agree with all that advice i think that the love and passion and wow this is getting very deep but uh the, you need that if you're doing something that you know that takes the consistency and effort and uh ambition that podcasting does which of your episodes besides of course episode 100 episode 200 which has been would you say the most memorable slash fun to date um, we're getting more into like having, um, guests on. So obviously for, you know, 200 episodes, you know, not all 200, you know, it's a lot of, you know, me and Katie talking to each other, you know, really just cause that's where the, that's where the banter comes from. That's where the analysis. We both have very different opinions on things. Like that's where a lot, it's like, we're almost each other's guests week after week, but we really are dabbling, uh, into more, you know, having external guests on. So every time we've had one has been absolutely great. Uh, but we actually had former New York giant Will Blackman on our episode uh, a couple, I want to say it was right before 200 because uh, we re- that really helped us amp up our efforts for 200. And it was so awesome to have, to not only have someone like that agree to come on, and it was an organic like relationship, like us on Twitter. That's how I met him. I met him through Giants Twitter and everyone talking about and building that community. And he had found out we had a podcast about football, wine and housewives, his like he actually likes watching that with his wife. So like it just kind of like the stars aligned and it was really cool to have him on. And I'm really happy that we did. You know, we got a lot of behind the scenes of like being an NFL player, playing for the New York Giants, you know, during a stretch where they went to that Super Bowl. You know, Eli Manning was his quarterback. So like a really cool, really cool time, you know, if you are a true Giants fan. Um, and he talked about some other experiences too. He was on a couple other teams. So really getting that. Um, and he was just hands down a genuine person. Um, so it was really exciting just to talk to him for about, I think we talked to him for like 30 minutes or so. Uh, so I'll always remember that episode. Just really, really cool for us. Uh, good milestone for the two of us for the, the show, but also to just being able to have that experience to sit down with someone like that. 
people people in this space like you and me or I would say people who are non-NFL players. <laughs> the thought of <laughs> speaking to an NFL player is like right. or any professional athlete is out of this world. And then when you actually speak to them, it's like, wait, is, is this actually happening? And I think <laughs> more often than not, the more you talk to them, you're like, they're just normal people. It's like they, ha- oh, they yeah. happen to do that for a living, but like so down to earth. And, and uh, yeah, that was an all-time episode. So n- not a surprise you chose that one. So speaking of milestones, in honor of... Wild Business Growth episode 200 meets episode 200 plus of the real football fans of New Jersey, RFFNJ uh, for short. We only thought it was right to do a special game of two truths and a lie. And, and the background of this is, as I mentioned, I know a ton about football. Caitlin knows a ton about football. Caitlin knows a ton about Real Housewives, all the Real Housewives. I know absolutely zero about Real Housewives. <laughs> so Caitlin was kind enough to organize a few batches of two truths and a lie, and I'm going to attempt to guess which one is the lie. And I have never been more nervous and unprepared <laughs> in my life. I did not prepare for this at all. So I, I, I haven't watched Real Housewives in years just in preparation for this. <laughs> so Caitlin, take it away. And uh, you are the uh, Jeopardy slash uh, Wheel of Fortune slash... Uh, <laughs> deal or no, no deal host, uh, et cetera. Take it away. <laughs> All right. So basically, um, like what Max had just said, so it's two truths and a lie. That's kind of it. But I'll, I'll call it two, I guess, two truthful scenarios and one lie scenario. So I did it in three batches. So basically what I did was I picked scenarios that have happened through the Housewives, multiple franchises throughout the years. There's two true ones and there's one false one in each section. So let's go with the first batch. Um, so I'll just read them in no particular order, obviously. First scenario, a New Jersey cast member got so furious at one of her co-stars that she flipped an entire dinner table at a very nice restaurant. Scenario number two, there is a fish room at one of the New York cast members' vacation homes that everyone refuses to sleep in. And scenario number three, a group of cast members from Atlanta were kicked out of the Georgia Dome after a physical altercation. Which oh, one's man. the lie? This is this is already way more difficult than I planned. Uh, they, I, I think I'm going to edit in the um, "Who Wants to Be a Millionaire" music, you know, like yeah. intense music before. <laughs> that would be good. I, I, I'm just stalling right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess the fish room. I, I think uh, fish and sleeping. I don't know. I feel like it's just um, that. That's my guess of the lie. How how did I do? You are wrong. The fish Damn room it. is a <laughs> huge storyline. Yeah, it is a huge storyline on the Real Housewives of New York. Um, it actually is Dorinda Medley's uh, vacation home in okay. Berkshire. I knew. You know, um, if you told me it was Dorinda, I wouldn't know. Yeah, uh, she has a whole room that is just dedicated to fish on the wall, and people get very, um, <laughs> very sassy about sleeping in this room. So. Okay, I would, I would sleep in that room. I'm just gonna yeah. venture out and say too. that. I would too. I, um, yes. Yeah, so. All right. So second group of scenarios here. The FBI boarded a sprinter van in Salt Lake City looking for one of the women to take her into police custody. Multiple cast members of the Real Housewives of Dallas over the years have been trained horse slash bull riders at rodeos. And the final scenario is the New York women were on a yacht that almost sank due to rough waters and weather. All was captured on film. Hmm. I'm going to. I'm actually going with the second one again. I feel like 
horse and bull riders. I almost said horse and buggy. Horse and <laughs> bull riders. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Something about that, pun intended, just seems a little fishy. So how, how did I do with that one? I love how you pulled fishy in from the first one, but you are correct. That is yes. the lie. All right, yes. cool. So, 50%. That was about my uh, GPA in yeah. high school anyway. <laughs> um, I think, I don't know, who knows? Dallas had a couple of seasons. Maybe one of the women was, but the key was that I pulled up multiple people. So uh, uh, definitely not. Not okay. many women were doing that in Dallas. That, that's, I can very, that's very <laughs> advanced. Very <Yes>. advanced. <laughs> All right. And now for the moment everyone has been waiting for, the, the, the third batch of scenarios. <laughs> third batch. All right. So let's start with the first one. So two members of the Washington DC cast snuck past all security and got into an exclusive white house party and were eventually caught and put on trial. Second scenario. And this is more just kind of like high level scenario. There are currently five OG franchises running two unknown that have unknown unknown futures, excuse me, and five brand new franchises. And then the third scenario is a member of Beverly Hills is currently under fire for potentially knowing her ex-husband embezzled money from plane crash victims. Wow, that got deep very quick. <laughs> that, that, got, that got intense. No, it is a little dark, yes. Uh, hmm... All right. Well, I'm going <laughs> to, this is very original. I'm going to go with the second one again, just because there's so many numbers in there that I'm like, this would be very easy for Caitlin to, to slightly change one of these numbers. So, so that's my guess, but I, I'm stumped across the board. So you are correct. The second one wow, is the okay. lie. All right. um, Up to a, a, a D average, almost D plus. Okay. Yeah. So the, the biggest kicker here is the brand new franchises. There's actually only, if you really want to, there's only three brand new running ones right now. So I knew it. I knew it. But that just goes to show you how much of uh, housewives there are. If there's five running right now that are OGs, like they're, they've been around forever. Two might come back. They might not. And then you've got three that are like current and new. So wow, a lot going oh on God. in housewives world, but, but you can see that these scenarios though, the ones that I did are true. A lot. <laughs> I guess my biggest question is, is it a requirement for every season of any Real Housewives to have people getting arrested, people getting in fights, and and people not sleeping in a, a certain animal theme room. I I think so. It's you know you have to bring the drama, and Bravo only goes after the women that are going to bring the hardcore drama to the show. So, <laughs> well, Caitlin, Bravo to you. Thank you so much for organizing these, and I think you have a uh, an additional career on top of everything as a a TV trivia host. <laughs> Uh, so they, they'd be lucky to have you on any of the 70 million uh, franchises. But uh, Caitlin, <laughs> all in all, thank you so much for uh, for coming on to celebrate episode 200 and, and uh, celebrate your episode 200 as well. And, and this was extra special, you know, sending the best to you. Looking forward to more and more uh, real football fans of New Jersey. And I actually know quite a bit about the franchise now. I don't know how that happened. But um, <laughs> last thing here, final thoughts, episode 200 edition. It could be a line. It could be kind of a quote from any figure in Real Housewives. Housewives history uh, or player on the Giants, whatever you want, send us home here. 
No, I mean, honestly, well, first and foremost, congratulations on 200th episodes. It's such an epic milestone. Um, and I know, you know, you're doing it about like, it's not like every single day. Um, so you're getting some con- really good, solid content out there for your audience, you know, frequently. So good for you. Um, so happy that I've been a part of this journey with you. And I, I don't know what to leave off with. I know we're a football podcast, but I'm really uh, excited for the Giants this season. <laughs> so oh my God, here I we think go. It'll, I think it'll My actually... fiance, Dana, is going to be very excited. We got it. Yeah. Giants plug in here. Here we go. So I think they will be really good. So, you know, maybe I'll, I'll go, I'll go above 500, maybe nine wins for the Giants. I'll sign off with that. So coming into the 2022 season, how many sacks for Thibodeau? That's the last question. Ooh, uh, let's see like five or six from him. All right. Five and a half. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, Caitlin means a ton. And, uh, I'll see you at the next party celebrating real housewives. All right. Thank you. This is a crazy story, really. I, I said I gotta, I gotta do a commercial for farmers only. I driving down the road, I see a farm, right? <laughs> okay. I pull in, go down a long gravel road. I pull in, and a guy comes out, and you know who's this stranger driving down my long driveway, right? Comes out start talking to him and start telling him how I just started a site for farmers dating. He goes, well, I'm, you know, I've been married for a while now. And his wife came out. They were a younger couple, middle age. And all of a sudden it hit me. They had this big farm land with uh, corn crops that were just harvested. So they were all just cut down off the cuff. I just said, Hey, could your wife walk through the cornfields acting like she's lonely? <laughs> okay. <laughs> As any random person who shows up to a house unannounced would ask. Right. I mean, can you imagine this situation? I go, it was just, it was just a thought. I go, I just visualized it. She was attractive. And so I, I taped her, you know, filmed her walking through the cornfield and she's just holding a, like a, some of the crops in her hand and just kind of like dazed off looking at the sky. Then after I got done, I go, thank you so much and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, I said, do you have any, do you know anybody around here that has horses? And he goes, yeah, old Bill up the hill. He's got some horses, right? I drove up the hill and found his horse, you know, his, his farm. I pull in again, total stranger. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I said, Hey, you know, I explained my story. I said, I'm putting together a TV commercial for farmers only. It's dating for farmers, blah, blah, blah. I said, can I get you to, uh, I want to film your horse. Like he's talking like, you know, you're too young, but there is a TV show called Mr. Ed. Yeah. Well, the talking horse, right? Yeah. Right. I said, I want to, I want to shoot, you know, your horse with a camera. (laughs) Right. So we got some peanut butter and put it on the gum, his gums. And he started yapping away. Right. And I filmed a lot of different angles. And then I, I said, what about, can I get your dog doing the same thing? So we did it to the dog again. Thanks. So I got this footage. I put together this commercial. Uh, First of all, I took this footage. I went into the production studio. The production studio said, Jerry, we can't use this. This is terrible. It's low quality. I was, it was handheld. I didn't even have a tripod. It was like the original shaky cam. 
you know, it's like now, now top Hollywood producers use the shaky cam look, right? To look cool. You're ahead of your time. So it was like extremely, it was low res, bad quality for television, shaky cam and on and on. But this commercial, I put it together and I'm telling you for a few hundred dollars and it went viral. This is a bit vulgar, but I'll, I'll tell the story. Hey, we're explicit. You're welcome to. Okay. I was working the plate one time. The only person that I can remember, I think I'm positive. It was Lloyd McClendon was the manager. I'm umpiring the plate, the catcher's there, and I forget who the hitter was, but the hitter got in the box, he took a pitch, and he's grinning, and I called it a ball, or no, I called it a strike, and he's grinning. I'm like, what in the hell? And about that time, the catcher just starts shaking his head, and the catcher goes, what in holy hell? What in? And he stands up, and about that time, it, the guy had – walked into the box and he had farted and it was <laughs> horrendous so now the catcher stands up and he turns around and he looks at me and I look at the catcher and I just back up and I put my hands up and the hitter's got his face down and his hand over his mouth I mean it looks it may look like to the manager that the, that the hitter's upset about the pitch and he <laughs> Lloyd here. Lloyd is holding his hands up in the dugout and he starts to walk out towards home plate, but you can't argue balls and strikes. And I got my mask on. I'm like, oh my God. And I look up and I see Lloyd. And Lloyd goes, what in the hell's going on? I go, I go, your boy farted. <laughs> and he, goes, he just turns around and he goes, yeah, he's doing it in the dugout too. <laughs> oh my God. Bart's the easiest for me. He's the easiest one. Like just talking to you, Max, I can very easily just slip into Bart's voice. And there you go, man. Dude, Max, I can't believe it. I'm on your podcast. Dude, this is amazing. Whoa, mama. It's like he is easy. <laughs> I had to get into Nelson. Well, I could get into him too, but I don't know how long I could sustain this. Do you know what I mean? Ha <laughs> ha. So there you go. That's a little <laughs> bit of a, a Bart's, a Simpson sampler by Nancy Cartwright. We don't want to leave out this little fella. Max, hey, just curious, is your name really Max Tone? Or is it Maxfield? Or <laughs> Maxograph? Like, what's your real name? I am speechless, unspeechless, unspeechless. Thank you so much. Caitlin, thank you so much. Jerry, thank you so much. Tim, thank you so much. Nancy and Bart and and everyone else. And thank you to all of those guests and wild listeners and friends and family and beyond. And everybody who has made the Wild Business Growth Podcast more wild and more special than ever over these past 100 and past 200 episodes. If you want to hear more wild stories like this one, including the episode 100 special, make sure to follow the Wild Business Growth Podcast on your favorite podcast app and tell a friend about it. Just tell one friend or one family member about the podcast who you know isn't a listener. I'm sure there's something in here that they'll be like, oh, that's that's okay. You can also find us on Good Pods where there are fantastic podcasts and podcast recommendations. You can learn more about podcast production at maxpodcasting.com. 
And while you're there, scroll down, sign up for the Podcasting for the Max newsletter, a great mix of podcasting tips behind the scenes and lessons from Wild Business Growth Podcast. And puns, puns, who doesn't like puns? Even puns at Tawny Phil even likes puns. Thanks again for listening and being so damn dashing. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos. Bongos.